0: I've been on a hunt for a double-breasted suit jacket for a while now, and one of the places I went to see is the Working Style store in Ponsonby, where I met Andrew. Andrew is the store manager there, and he was very kind in asking what I wanted, and showing the shop around, and listening to my frustration of not being able to find a decent quality double-breasted suit jacket. But sometimes during our conversation, I realized that Andrew was rocking one. So I asked him where he got it from, and he told me that he made it himself. So it turns out he got into tailoring, and he was trained under a bespoke tailor, Brendan Da Silva, and he has been making his own clothes for several years now. As a fan of good quality clothes, and fashion, I had to have Andrew on the podcast to talk about tailoring and clothes in general too. As a consumer, my conversation with Andrew opened a whole new world of bespoke tailoring for me, and this has been super exciting, especially when I'm shopping because it adds a whole new dimension to it. Also as a consumer of clothes, I've been aware of the sustainability of my consumerism. And one way I've been practicing this is to purchase few good pieces that will last a long time. And from what I can see, bespoke tailoring is as good as it gets when it comes to this. So overall, I would say our conversation was a very fun one, but also a very educational one. Thank you Andrew, for your time and for the conversation. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I'm very happy you're here. Well, this is Everything Goes podcast, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andrew. How is that? Because I know you can hear your own voice, right? And some people don't like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... um, you always, oh, I always sound a bit more like Kermit the Frog in the real world than I do in my head. Right. <laughs> I have quite like a, you know, a, a little bit of depth to my voice, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, when you hear yourself back, it's always a uh, sobering experience.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's weird, but I think most people get used to it. Most people, yeah, I think it helps. Um, I don't
1: especially. know if I want to get used to it, really. I don't think I need to be uh, <laughs> putting my voice out there that much.
0: Get used to your hearing your own voice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't yeah. think I need to be that much in the public eye.
0: Right, right. But um, yeah, this is how it is. Yeah, So this is a setup. And so everything's recording now. I'm just double checking. But yeah, thank you so much for having me over at your place, Andrew. have to say, you've done it up really nicely. Thank I mean, you. I don't know what it looked like before. Maybe it was even better. Maybe you've done it down. How dare do you? Yeah, who, who knows? Who knows? But from what I can see, it's looking very beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I've I've done my best. It's um, uh, it's a really nice old building, so yeah. uh, it's hard to go wrong with with good bones.
0: Good bones. I think one of my favorite places is your bathroom. <laughs> High ceiling. <laughs> I have to say, I I am uh Every time I go to like a restaurant or a new house or anything like that, I check out the bathroom. Mm. I don't know why it matters a lot to me, but when I see the bathroom and it, when it's clean and it's like cozy in there, mm. I get a sense that like, oh man, it's not just the outside that's looking good; it's also the inside.
1: <laughs> You're saying the bathroom is the soul of the house, or something? There.
0: <laughs> to me, bathroom is like soul of the house. It's the personality of the place. It's the extra detail that that hasn't been gone that hasn't gone unnoticed.
1: Mm. I um. Well, generally I want to get out of the bathroom as quickly as possible, but yeah. I will say that, uh, that one has, uh, like a little sensor under the bench and everything. So when you walk in, like you, all the under lighting coming through, Yes, sir. which is really nice. Uh, it's a nice touch. Uh, there's nothing to do with me though. That is, <laughs> uh, I think the last people who lived here, they spent way too much doing it up. Yeah. And they also got in a lot of trouble because it's a heritage building. So you're not allowed to do a lot of things. Um, but the attitude to that was i think ask forgiveness not permission yeah and um they did a lot of stuff and i think the forgiveness was slow in coming <laughs> <laughs> so uh they didn't stay long in the flat um and they've barely lived here so
0: okay yeah well i mean i mean i feel like you benefited off that high ceiling i love the high ceiling of it and the raised the shower part of it oh yeah also yeah.
1: the not you know this is an audio show but yeah. uh the uh yeah the shower has a a window directly into it which is an interesting touch Sure, true, true um, yeah i think the bathroom used to be the kitchen ah okay. so um that might have been over the sink
0: yeah before i don't know if i'm giving out too much information about your place <laughs>
1: i'm sure no one can find the house from the fact that there's a, a window into the
0: shower well if someone does I'm i'm more impressed than worried
1: yeah well we both know they'd have to abseil down that like huge hole yeah to get in there anyway so if you can break into the flat from there then <laughs> kudos to you really
0: yeah yeah man but otherwise because you used to paint andrew
1: yes i uh well i still work a bit as an art teacher oh, okay um just community education so teaching adults not teaching children or teenagers that is a skill that i have a lot of admiration for mm. but uh i'm not cut out for that um yeah i uh used to teach full-time i was um teaching like oil painting acrylics portrait painting Mm. um and i used to work as a portraitist as well yeah so um a lot of uh in new zealand especially that just means you're painting a lot of children of like remy era families mostly okay um which is lovely and they're lovely people but it has limited appeal especially after doing your 20th child that just wants to play PlayStation and they have been forced to sit there and, uh, either talk or just stare at a man that they don't really know very well. Yeah. Um, so I've, I had some like families give me PlayStation privileges. I could, you know, threaten them with revoking their, <laughs> their, um, uh, after hours, um, entertainment. But yeah, I, um, Painting adults is much more satisfying because you get the give and take. Um, so the, the portrait tends to evolve as your relationship with the the customer, the subject, yeah. um, changes. So it's, it's a little bit more like bespoke in that way because you get to know them a little bit, you, um, alter things and gradually you sort of find, find your groove between mm. the two of you. Um, so there's it feels like there's quite a bit of crossover actually between tailoring or bespoke tailoring yeah and um
0: uh wow sorry to interrupt um sorry to uh interrupt the conversation but do you hear the vo- buzzing noise in your yeah I can yeah hear buzzing. one second i'm just gonna we're gonna edit this part out <laughs> but we're back we're back yeah so there was uh so you went to school for like painting right Mm, sort of. of
1: i didn't do like elam or white or anything like that um i trained as a 2d animator initially so that was my studying so the old hand-drawn um sort of disney style of animation mm. um so i did that for three years um had a great time uh it's not the best way of making money or finding a career um and I wasn't a particularly good animator anyway, so...
0: You don't think so? No,
1: no, definitely not. Oh, um, It's a, like, there's a definite um, combination of being artistic but also being a machine with it, um, which, just as I'm saying that, I'm realizing it's kind of how I describe being a tailor, actually, because <laughs> you're kind of a human sewing machine. Yeah. Um, but you have to be artistic as well. Um, but I guess it's just uh, there's a certain kind of skill that I don't have. Um, I really wanted to be a concept artist, but mm. everybody wants to be a concept artist.
0: What's a concept artist?
1: Uh, so you're coming up with the base the designs for the TV show or the movie, right? So that might be like costume designs or just broad character or creature designs or environment designs. I was always good at doing the like backdrops, as in the you know you'd have the animation going on but you might have some like background map paintings or something. Mm. Um, so, so those are just basically just still images. Yeah. Um, and I was, yeah, I was great at doing those. So more probably better at illustration than anything else. Um, but like I said, you don't need many concept artists for a project and everybody likes being a concept artist. Mm. So those jobs are snapped up pretty quick. Um, so, uh, yeah, I started doing portraits while I was studying and then that sort of took over. And, uh, again, with the teaching as well, that just sort of naturally evolved out of talking to people. And, um, yeah, I was very lucky. Selwyn so college, um, it was run by a very good, but very lovely, um, woman and cave. And she, uh, agreed to start me out there. Mm. Um, and, uh, surprised i think myself and them by being a really good art teacher i really enjoyed it um and uh it's uh it's very satisfying yeah um i I really like the sort of combination of encouraging people and also problem solving um that comes with teaching because obviously they're adults so they want to be there as well as you know it's not like the kids that they're um they'd rather be somewhere else they've been made to be like <laughs> these people they've paid money they they want to be learning um and uh, it's just really satisfying each person has their own little uh issue that they need to work through and they all have their own little problems they create during the lesson and yeah. you need to sort of work out what's gone wrong and show them in a way that builds them up which is also I don't know it's just um it's satisfying technically, but it's also, it, you always feel good afterwards as well.
0: I think it's uh teaching is one of the most rewarding things you can do.
1: Yes. Also one of the most underpaid most things under- you can do. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, all, yeah. Um, all the things I love doing generally are generally the things that, uh, are the, the worst <laughs> for supporting yourself. <laughs> Unfortunately, I seem to have very impractical tastes. Um, mm yeah
0: so there will be do you mean like in terms of like teaching and drawing
1: teaching art Art. bespoke tailoring yeah uh they're all things that require a lot of time and energy and uh generally uh not paid terribly well um i think with the bespoke tailoring Mm. uh you it just takes so much time um that in order to just pay for your time, of the garment, the price of the garment ends up being so expensive that most people either don't understand or just even if they love it and they understand the work that goes into it, they can't afford to pay for it. Yeah. So it's a very, um, there are very few people, especially in New Zealand that can afford and can understand enough to, to pay for one of those. So,
0: and you are telling me the process before and I can see how it would take a long time. Yes.
1: Uh, also takes a bit of mental resilience cause you have to take the thing apart yeah. several times. Is oh. that the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You do all this beautiful work and then just part of the process is it has to, <laughs> has to be taken apart again. Um, so yeah, there's a certain amount of patience, uh, that comes with it. Mm. Um, it hurts a lot less now mm. ripping everything apart. Um, it used to it used to be very painful.
0: How many pieces have you made so far now? Mm, um,
1: I think it must be... It's hard to think. I think commercial pieces, I've probably only done about 50 or so.
0: Oh, wow, 50?
1: Um, But I think stuff I've done for myself and experiments would be much more than that.
0: So putting them all together, would it go over... It would go over 100 then.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah. got over 100. Yeah, definitely. Whoa. So there's not very many, mate. Like, you know, th- that's that's something that uh, I, I don't... I, have, I know some uni students, I don't know how many pieces they have to make for each collection, but yeah. um, uh, they by the end of these days I'm sure they would have made more than me, to be honest. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. But they, to be honest, they're doing it on machine. Yeah. <laughs> so. so
0: by that, do you mean you hand sew everything instead of using like a sewing machine?
1: Uh, yes. So um, when I started out, I was doing everything by hand. Uh, now I'm doing a combination of the two. So there are some areas on the garment where it makes a big difference doing it by hand.
0: Oh, what, what would, where would that be?
1: Uh, collar is probably the first one. Okay. Um, that's somewhere you can really tell if um, <clears throat> if people have skimped and that's just mm. basically a factory. So, you know, you, you, get some things that are very, uh, overpriced. Mm. And when you sort of look into them, you go, oh, okay. You, you're charging that much, but you didn't even put the color on by hand. Like right. mate. a lot of them, they, there's just like a hand buttonhole on the lapel. And that's as far as they go.
0: So how would the hand sewing like look different to machine sewing?
1: Um, well, I mean, I can show you, I can't really show the viewers. Oh yeah. Uh, the easiest thing is, uh, Two good things to look for is is the under collar, which is the thing you see when you flip the collar up on okay. the jacket. Is that one piece or is it several pieces? Right. Because if it's one piece, it's more likely to be done by hand. And also the line of stitching that attaches it around the neck. Um, is it just like a zigzag? Mm. Because if it's just a zigzag, then it's machine stitch. Right. Um, and if it's little, like sort of diagonal, sort of slash mm. stitch marks. Um, and they're a little, maybe even a little bit janky looking. Mm. Then it's definitely a hand <laughs> Uh Generally, if things look like, I mean, ideally they should be really sharp. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, if it's made in a in some sort of a production line, then things might be a little bit wobbly here and there, especially in- on the under collar, where most of the time people won't see it.
0: Does them. Doesn't that mean it will be structurally less stable or not? No,
1: no. Uh, I mean, for one thing, the hand stitch is a little bit better than the machine stitch, especially in a lot of areas, because it actually has a bit more flexibility. Mm. So if it comes under strain, it can actually move a little bit, whereas the machine stitch will just snap. Um, and. I mean i would say my hand stitches are very neat and they're quite tight and mm. i try and uh because i want my garments to live a long time because that's sort of what are you paying for mm. you know just you're not paying for handwork for the sake of handwork. like so it took you a long time to say this like who cares um the idea is that it should be more comfortable and it means you can mold the garment to someone's body more and it also should mean that it lasts a lot longer so i want my clothes to be lasting for Decades rather than years, um, and so that means flexible hand stitches, but also stitches that are like close together. Right. So I try and make them neat. Like I say saying, <laughs> the the other got some people like they'll skimp a little bit, um, even with the hand sewn ones. Like some of the ones you'll see, especially if you go op shopping, mm. you might be lucky enough to find one which is handmade. But a lot of the ones that are. Um, a little bit rough. So I try and make sure Brendan, the guy who taught me his thing was, it should be as neat as a machine-made garment, but better basically. Right. Um, so it, it's a very high standard.
0: <laughs> it's a very high standard, mm. but I love that. I feel like this really, uh, contributes and promotes the sustainability as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big topic these days, of course.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, really don't want people to be just chucking things yeah. out. Uh, and we were talking a bit before about, you know, glued jackets, the ones that are just fused down the front instead of have a canvas put through.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. Can you explain that? I guess. So the, like the, I can hear it again. The listeners can hear.
1: Yeah. So, um, originally, uh, garments had a, like a hair cloth. Well, had what's called a body cloth, which is usually a mixture of different animal fibers. So some goat hair, maybe a bit of wool and generally a bit of linen or cotton woven together. It's a slightly springy, but quite rough cloth. Um, and then also a few other layers in the chest, like horsehair, mm. hair. Um, and that was put in to give a bit of stability to the front of the garment where you really want it to behave and look sharp. So it's a slightly springy cloth, which means it doesn't crease easily and it should hold a fairly consistent shape. Mm. Um, It also gives strength to the garment because the front obviously comes under a lot of strain because you're buttoning it, unbuttoning it. You've got your pockets there. You're shoving your hands in your pockets if you're a bit of a slob, (laughs) you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, So it just helps to maintain the garment through its life basically. And it has the added benefit of, in the same way that, you know, hair crimps and you can like straighten your hair. You can curl it with heat and moisture. Um, the same thing happens as you're wearing a garment with a canvas inside where it gradually molds more to your body as your heat and your moisture, um, gets into it. So that was the way clothes were made or jackets were made. Um, and then, uh, when mass production became more of a thing, especially in the sixties and seventies, um, people came out with fusing, which was a cloth impregnated with glue that would be stuck into garments and it would replicate some of the effects of a canvas very cheaply and easily, um, but it would make the fronts behave, basically. Um, the main downside to that is it doesn't let it breathe. Um and also as the garment is washed more and more over its life, the glue breaks down and it starts to pull away on the inside. Mm. So you get this visible sort of bubbling effect happening on the fronts of jackets, which is generally not what we're after. Um, so uh, that's off with my current job, um, you do get people coming in, uh, either you notice it and mm. you don't necessarily want to point it out if they <laughs> love the jacket yeah but also you get people coming in and saying oh, hey a new jacket, a new suit because this one is you know uh looking bizarre um so that that's definitely one way that mass production uh sort of has deteriorated the quality of the clothes that we're wearing yeah um uh, you almost everything uses fusing now um so i mean most areas on clothes where they need a little bit of body or a little bit of stiffness mm. so your shirt and mm. collars um like the cuff and the collar of the shirt they're probably fused right which is like it's, it's not terrible oh you're just, um, just like
0: <laughs> you're roasting my outfit i'm not roasting your <laughs> nah, outfit
1: yeah. I, i'm sure what i'm wearing probably has some fusing in it somewhere. hey you're wearing country road I am the yeah, same, same as this. Oh, Country <laughs> Road. Good fit. Yeah, not sponsored. Um
0: <laughs> But don't mind. Yeah. Wouldn't mind.
1: Yeah. I I'm I'm fond of Country Road. Um You noticed know, so I'm not wearing any tailoring.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna ask about that, but you know.
1: Yeah, well I I like it. Um but uh you get a bit sick of it <laughs> after a while. I like making it, but I don't necessarily want to wear it all day.
0: I mean, you, cause you work at like, um, suit, like working style too. So you're kind of around that style, like all the time as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, I think I used to, I used to love wearing it more. Mm. Um, and I I definitely won't say it's uncomfortable, especially bespoke clothes. They're very comfortable. Yeah. Um, but actually I, found i don't really want to give off that vibe so much of being like really sharply dressed so much i kind of (laughs) like looking like a bit of a slob sometimes right and it's so funny because the guy who taught me uh he would spend a lot of time in the workshop oh he's making these beautiful clothes Mm. he would not wear any of them he'd be in the workshop wearing like the radiest shirt uh like (laughs) cargo shorts and jandals so that's brendan that's brendan yeah yeah um and i would be dressing up and like you know wearing suits <laughs> and stuff and he just give me a little bit of a side eye and um and yeah now i'm turning it to him mm. um which is which is quite nice
0: that's interesting because one of the things i was going to ask you about that was tailoring and fashion kind of the overlaps and uh maybe the differences because you because you are technically trained in tailoring you, you start noticing maybe like the structure of the like piece and like how it looks on people. So I guess there will be more attention to detail mm-hmm. and was just wondering, like, Oh, I wonder like, yeah. How would that translate to how you dress yourself? You know?
1: Oh, um, I think the biggest thing. Is not so much um, whether the clothes are technically right, especially in menswear. There are lots of like bullshit rules about Mm. like, oh, you shouldn't wear this color, uh, like shoes with this sort of suit, or. Um, you get like really old, outdated rules like uh, never brown in town. Okay. That sort of stuff. What's, Wh- which, what's no. Oh, uh, it's just the idea that you have like colours that you wear in the countryside. Right. And colours that you wear in the city. Oh, so you shouldn't okay. wear like a brown tweed in the city. <laughs> right. Which is like nobody wears a brown tweed anywhere these days. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a useless rule. Um, but yeah, I'm very much just like, just wear what you want to wear, mate. Okay. Like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody's looking that close at you. And if they are looking that close at you and judging you because you're like shirt collar is a quarter inch too long then like they're a loser (laughs) we have better things to do with our time um i think the biggest thing that stands out to me especially with customers coming into the store is people that are maybe dressed well but it looks like they're wearing someone else's clothes right you can really tell when someone's comfortable in their clothes and they're wearing things that align with their personality rather than aligning with the person that they think they ought to be or the kind of vibe they want to give off doesn't align with like who they are um which i think is one of those things that you sort of grow into through like there's a very adolescent looking way of looking at things Mm. which is very firmly view you know sort of uh trying to project something onto the outside world um whereas when you get a bit older you just i think you partly you stop caring so much <laughs> like you've got more important things to worry about than your ego hopefully yeah um but also uh you try things out and then you gradually like work out what makes you what you don't even really have to think about when you put it on i guess Yeah. Okay. um i've made lots of really expensive mistakes both in terms of money and just time making things for myself and buying things for myself that i loved and i thought were me but they just weren't Um, I've got a, uh, pink corduroy jacket that I made. Um, I love it, but I just, I just don't, (laughs) I, I sort of, I can see myself when I wear it, if that makes any sense. Like, uh, I just, um, not that I feel like everyone's looking at me necessarily, but, um, I just feel very conscious (laughs) of the fact that I'm wearing the pink jacket when I wear it. Um, and it, yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't really work. So do,
0: do you think it stands out too much or?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it just feels like
0: feels like you're trying a little bit
1: too hard maybe to like draw attention to yourself, um, which I think is also a bit of a politeness thing where um, I think it's just as rude to turn up overdressed to a party mm. than it is to turn up underdressed because then you're kind of making everyone feel a bit shit about themselves. If you're overdressed. If you're overdressed, yeah. Like if... It's not that you should look like a slob or something, but, like, if if you're turning up and you're making the other people around you feel, like, less than or something, then I think that that's just as shitty as turning up and making them feel like you haven't made an effort.
0: I've also heard, if in doubt, overdress, because it means that it shows other people that, that you Care. cared about, like, how you present to them.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's... Um, might be safer to go that way.
0: Um but
1: uh definitely having clothes that fit you but also fit your environment. Um in the same way that like f- home decor, it's no sense furnishing your flat. Um he says looking around his <laughs> antique filled flat, it's no use furnishing your flat uh to look like somewhere in like the English countryside if you live in the middle of you know, uh, Auckland CBD. Yeah. Cause like that just makes no sense. You're not fitting into an environment at all. Um, so in the same way, like it doesn't make sense for you to dress like, um, I don't know, a Victorian aristocrat if you're like in Palmerston North or something <laughs> It's just, yeah. Um, you need something that fits you, but also fits your surroundings. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, I do think what we're we talking about expensive mistakes. Um,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Expense What else is there in term? What about in terms of things you purchased that were mistakes?
1: Oh god, so many things, so <laughs> many things. Um, do you like shopping in general? Usually, I used to, not so much. uh I'm. I've just moved into a new place, so, uh, like furniture and like knickknack shopping, right more than clothes now uh i kind of stopped spending money on clothes uh yeah i have a pretty limited wardrobe as well so Mm. it's mostly i've got a lot of jackets but that's because i've made a lot of jackets Uh, they're more like experiments than anything else um i should say as well the like the pink jacket thing i don't it's not so much that wearing a showy piece isn't good because i've got some other pieces that are quite out there as well yeah but I think it's just that particular look doesn't really align. You know, you find, you find some things that you just put on and you don't even think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, what have I bought that? I really regret. Oh, I bought a beautiful handmade, like silk and linen knitted jumper from Ralph Lauren. Okay. Um, I think I bought that about 10 years ago. I'm still waiting for the right person to give it to, um, because it, it's beautiful. Um, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm so skinny and lanky and pale. <laughs> uh, when I put it on, it just, it accentuates all the worst qualities you need. Like, I think if you're going to wear it, you need to be like tan, a bit buff, quite masculine looking, cause it's quite a feminine garment. Okay. You need something that just juxtaposes that. Uh, and that ain't me. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I, I need to find like the right person that, um, can wear this.
0: So it's a knitted jumper.
1: Yeah. It's a hand, handmade, uh, jumper. It's in like beautiful sort of blush pink and like baby blue with a little bit of sage green in there. Mm. Um, it's really, yeah, really beautiful pattern. Um, and like very delicately made, uh, i I always have some really gorgeous um i have a lot of jumpers. <laughs> i i have uh a, a really gorgeous uh like fair Isle jumper what's fair Isle? uh it's uh it's like a traditional um I, I can't remember if it's english or scottish um it's a knitted pattern basically it's quite busy yeah. it's quite vintagey looking um It's very 1930s looking, Hmm. Um, and again, it just leans a little bit too into that um, skinny white boy aesthetic, (laughs) which is something I want to try and push away from a little bit. Um, So, I need someone who can wear that a little bit, ironically, maybe. Um, Yeah.
0: So, for those, like, for the pieces that... For those pieces, do you try to sell it? Have you tried selling it or do you prefer giving them away?
1: No, no. I want to give them away because I want to know that it's going to someone that will really care about it. Wow. And and I'd I'd rather have it be someone that maybe I'll see around wearing it rather than just disappearing off into the ether. Yeah. So I've got a lot of, um, things that I made as experiments and I don't want to sell them in op shops. Um, so I've gradually trying to be find like friends and acquaintances who will fit into them. Um, so, which is tricky cause I'm very skinny. So I've very skinny and very tall. Uh, I found a few female friends who will fit into them and they sort of wear them like boyfriend jackets. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'd much rather have a connection with someone and then gift it to them rather than sell it to someone.
0: Why is that? um
1: well with the ones i've made like i'm very attached to them um because right, i've spent a lot of time yeah. with them and quite a lot of like physical blood and sweat has
0: gone <laughs> into them is it literal blood
1: well i try not to bleed over my work but sometimes <laughs> it does happen the amount of times that i have stuck needles under my fingernails oh, on accident oh. yeah 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 uh, <sighs> after a while uh, your nerve endings just so like i i do it now i'm like oh well, that's a pain yeah. um oh even I've, thinking about it i've stopped bleeding from these now really yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't
0: think that's uh like if you should laugh or if you should call the oh no <laughs> i should probably go to the doctor yeah yeah
1: um oh man yeah so uh i mean w- when you're sewing you're using your fingers on the inside of the cloth as little sensors yeah so you you prick your fingers like a thousand times a day yeah because oh. like if, every stitch you do a little pinprick because you have to go through and then feel that you've gone all the way through and then maybe depending on what you're doing you're either trying to go through your finger picks it up and you pull back a tiny bit Mm. so the stitch is on the inside of the cloth or you're touching and you're just like picking up enough of the outside layer of the cloth that the stitch is not visible right because a lot of the stitching that you're doing um is to like shape the chest or the lapel or something especially on the lapel you want to get a nice roll so you put like hundreds of little stitches all over the lapel okay. and you're holding it and you're curling the cloth so that the lapel curls back on itself.
0: And that's uh, inside. Is there a stitching inside the lapel? Cause you don't really see many stitches. No,
1: no. So it'll be, it'll be inside. So you do it. Uh, um, you do it on the inside layer of the lapel with that body cloth canvas I was talking about. Yeah. Um, you stitch together that layer with the, back layer of the lapel the one okay. that will fold back and you want to try and make those stitches that will show up on the underside of the lapel invisible right um they talk about the like apprentice stitches mm. which are the ones that are a bit clumsy invisible as being like little ants crawling up the lapel okay which is not what we want so you want to be able to not see the stitches but just see little dimples right um and uh, and then the outer layer of the lapel the like facing layer that gets stitched over top and hides all the the stitches on the inside Mm. Um, yeah so there's a lot of areas where you're doing these stitches and you only want to go through some of the layers but not all of them or you want to go through all the layers but not actually see the stitch on the outside right so there's a lot of like fine motor skills um, which is interesting because I have no full body coordination I'm very (laughs) clumsy but fine motor skills are good Um, so it's an interesting juxtaposition there
0: yeah do you reckon being a painter you know you draw with your hands and maybe like a lot of delicate lines as well and delicate details do you reckon that helped um
1: yeah i think my painting style is i do some paintings that are quite tight and controlled Mm. um but then a lot of my paintings like the watercolors are quite uncontrolled and a little bit chaotic uh but i yeah i think the art and the piano probably trained a lot of the fine motor skills yeah um, so it, it wasn't intentional, but it was probably good sort of training for that. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. You'd have to ask Brendan if he thinks my motor skills are up to it. Really? <laughs> um, he'd probably say no, but, um, yeah. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Uh, not quite sure how much of that is something that you like acquire and how much of mm-hmm. it is just something that's innate. Cause they're definitely like, uh, the clumsiness thing, isn't it? <laughs> like I'll trip over my own work over, you know, like, it's, um, like there's no control over where any of this goes. Um, and like no amount of like trying to train that has trained the clumsiness <laughs> out of me. So like vice versa, I don't know whether there's any amount of training that would get rid of, or like particularly enhance the fine motor stuff either.
0: Yeah. How did you get into tailoring?
1: Uh, I loved, I quite into antics and I was always after like antique clothes. And, um, there was something about antique clothes, especially clothes from like the twenties and thirties, which is around the time that the tailoring that I'm talking about mm. became a fully fledged idea, um, In terms of like the techniques and everything that's when they started being sort of set in stone a bit um so garments from that time that i picked up i noticed had something a little bit special about them and i couldn't Hmm. figure out what it was and if you ask people sort of they'd generally say like oh well they're handmade or something and it's like well well, that means fuck all (laughs) like you know if something's handmade it means it took longer to do but like who cares, you know, um, so I started looking into it and taking them apart and trying to reverse engineer them a
0: little bit Oh, so you were already doing that even before you started tailoring.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Well, I mean that was that was me starting to tailor Right Um, and YouTube uh, stepped in at that point. Yeah. and I started I found um, I think the first person I started watching a lot was Bernadette Banner mm. who did a lot of uh, a little bit earlier more like Victorian sewing techniques um, but she certainly made it feel quite approachable, um, and made me feel like oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started, and my very first sewing project was making a double-breasted jacket. Oh, which was uh brazen hubris on my part. Uh, I think most people start with a t-shirt or something as their first <laughs> sewing project. Um, but like it. it i made a perfectly functional jacket let's say that okay um as in you can fit it on your body good uh, enough that yeah that was close to me <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah i haven't looked at it in a long time i don't really want to <laughs> um uh, yeah so that that sort of started me off and then mm. i was addicted to it i think addicted to the to wanting to achieve what i'd found i've got one jacket in particular which is a 1930s dinner jacket um which i still think is just beautifully made um even the like those stitches I was talking about the hidden stitches on the yeah. underside um someone was showing off because it's a black suit but those stitches were done with uh, like beige thread okay um and they're still pretty much invisible uh, i know the i think danish tailors the like when you finished your studies your job was to make a black suit with white thread as in you had to be skilled enough that the white thread wouldn't show. Yeah. Um, (laughs) which is a flex. (laughs) Um, I would not want to have to tackle that. Um, but, uh, yeah. So a lot of that was trying to like replicate that standard for me and then trying to work out, uh, you know, the, the further you get into something, the more you realize how little, you know, so trying to find solutions to all these issues that were popping up. Um, and so I kept going like that for a few years. And then uh, I was talking to, um, uh, well, I was using Horse and Freer, which is a fabric wholesaler here in New Zealand um, for like canvases and stuff. Mm. And he suggested that uh, I talk to Brendan. Mm. And, uh, so I got in touch with him and Brennan's very generous. Um, and he sort of took me under his wing as his student and we, um, yeah, we, uh, he took me through basically, uh, his version of an apprenticeship, I guess. Um, so I, He told me back to basics and sort of unstripped a lot of the bad habits that I'd learned, which was really important because, uh, it's a lot of fun being self-taught, but you do pick up a lot of bad habits. (laughs) Um, so he, he was very good at, at sort of saying, no, 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 no. Like you got to stop doing that. Um, and, and also there's a lot of stuff that you sort of pick up a new half understand and you get the wrong end of the stick where you think you're trying to do one thing with this technique or you're trying to achieve something with this and you're actually you've got got things around the wrong way with tailoring there's a lot of um especially with fitting tailoring uh sort of scratching where it itches where you might have something that's fitting wrong here Mm. but the and you're trying to fiddle around with changing stuff here to fix yeah. it I, i'm pointing to my hip by the way um
0: <laughs> oh bless your your podcasting manners <laughs>
1: <laughs> and um but the way to fix it is from up here at the shoulder right so wow. um you wouldn't think of that naturally yeah. um so there's a lot of a lot of that sort of thing where you you might be messing around for ages and getting really frustrated with like i can't fix this bloody thing uh, and actually you're looking in completely the wrong area yeah um, but a lot of it's counterintuitive so unless you're taught what to look for um you'll spend like ages messing around and never getting anywhere so having that mentorship is really important which is where brendan was very generous because a lot of because tailoring the sort of bespoke tailoring is really dying out um it's had a little bit of a resurgence recently um but a lot of the older tailors the way they were taught was they had to really like dig for scraps um like i heard about one tailor who was uh he was apprentice to someone hmm. but the guy he was apprenticed to would like turn his back to him to try and like hide what he was doing because really? they were very protective of their knowledge yeah and they didn't want to give anyone else an upper hand over them so they were very scared um of sort of you know the apprentice becoming the master <laughs> as well like of, of their apprentice overtaking them or of giving those skills away to someone who might then join a rival tailoring company so a lot of the older tailors who have all this knowledge uh are still very protective of it and quite secretive. Um, but it's like when they die, there's going to be no one yeah. who knows all this stuff. Cause a lot of it is just, it's not written down. Um, or at least if it is written down, it's written down in a way that when you read it, it doesn't really convey. Cause there, there are a lot of tailoring books. Um, but actually you can't explain a lot of the stuff without vi- physically showing someone. Hmm. Um, and also a lot of it is context sensitive as well. So some of, some of what you read is very generalized and you need to be, um, you need to know how to use these things with the context of different issues that are cropping up or different body, t- just, yeah, there's, there's too many variables really. You need to have someone there showing you how to do this stuff. So the fact that Brendan was willing to share all this stuff. Yeah um and not be protective and not be um uh not try and like hold on to it just for himself (laughs) i was very grateful for um because yeah it's like why are you holding on to stuff man like there's no one else doing it anyway and um like when you die it's, it's gonna die with you so just spread it a bit and um and i'd much rather do that i'd i'd love the idea of um training up more people and sort of spreading this more because uh then we get better clothes Mm. from (laughs) i'd love to see more more beautiful clothes out there rather than just more of the same shitty factory made stuff um that's just gonna you know
0: nobody's gonna care about it in 10 years um yeah i can see why the person i can see how you know your like handmade pieces, like the handmade tailoring, and the techniques that you develop over time can be like you will consider that like as a unique asset to yourself, and therefore it's kind of your that's how you one way to like market yourself. But um, I can see that from that point of view, but would would not be best for you know to teach others, you know to spread the knowledge
1: yeah you're not really doing anyone any favors by hanging on to it and like there isn't enough competition to make it worth holding on to that information you know right i mean even if i went and told like murray crane everything i know about tailoring Mm. it's going to be useless to him because he doesn't he's using factories to make his suits and they can't implement all this stuff they'd be like oh that's lovely but like that's worthless to us they've Mm. got their own way of working and they can't you can't fit in these handmade processes into a mass production context. It's just, um, there are some, maybe some things that you could say in terms of the pattern making that might improve them a little bit. Um, but it, with all this stuff anyway, it's not like there's one or like two things you can tell someone to add into a garment that's suddenly going to take it from, like being 50% good to being like 80% good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, they're all like little tiny drops that kind of add up to a beautiful thing. So it's not like if you have a handmade collar on your suit, then that suit is automatically worth like $700 more. Um, or that it's, you know, uh, it's this much more beautiful. It's like every little thing adds up a little bit. Um, with like the, the handmade unique pattern, the handmade canvas in the suit. Um, yeah, the handmade hand attached collar all the shrinking and stretching you do when you make it um you could go on and on and on, but uh <laughs> like the number of fittings you do as well and the flexibility with those fittings uh like i was showing you where you have you at the first fitting especially you can do things that you can just move where the pockets are right. which you can't really do with a made-to-measure garment um especially not having the garment sort of put together and on the person And then it's still able to take it all apart and change everything about it, basically. Um, So yeah, there's all these little things that add up. There isn't like one big thing that then turns it into a bespoke garment. It's just
0: little tiny drops. And we should say, when we say Brandon, it's Brandon Da Silva, is it? Yes. From Preston and And Morris. And Morris. Preston and Morris got my show notes yeah so he's
1: yeah. he's still working away at uh, queen's arcade yeah um yeah making making his beautiful suits um i think he made one recently which sounded like a pain in the ass that was <laughs> beautiful beautiful blue silk um wow. silk is difficult because you can't really shrink and stretch it with the iron and the same way you can with wool okay with wool you can kind of mold it mm. with like heat and moisture um so you can do a lot, a lot of stuff that you would have to like bake into the pattern. Um, you can just work with your iron. Yeah. Um, I know there are some tailors that don't, you have like a, a seam or a dart that runs down the front of the jacket. Um, and some very fancy tailors, uh, or show off tailors. Um, they won't even do the dart. They'll just shrink the cloth in that area oh, with the yeah. iron. Why? So, um, and I know some people do the same with the back where they do a one piece back. We normally have like a centre seam yeah. through the centre at the back. Um some tailors I've seen just shaping the back with the iron, so the back's all one piece of cloth.
0: Is it better? Um the quality of it.
1: I I think it's it looks beautiful and um and it's a really good demonstration of your skills. The only thing is some of it might disappear a bit with washing over the garment's life. A lot of it, a lot of that shrinking and stretching gets baked in when it's incorporated into seams because the seams hold the fullness Hmm. uh, where it's supposed to be. They sort of lock it in permanently. Um, But some areas, the shrinking especially might fall out a little bit. Yeah. Um, I can see that. It'll depend a little bit. Um, Yeah, and also uh, you can only do that with like wool cloths, generally, reasonably substantial wool cloths as well. Um, You, so you're limited in that way. You wouldn't be able to do it to everything.
0: And you say you can't do it to silk, for example. No, no. (laughs) Um, So
1: yeah, I I haven't made a pure silk suit before, Um, rather him than me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I would tell that customer to rethink. (laughs) Um, it is quite nice nice uh, working for working style now though because i get to do the made to measure and it's not me making it so i can choose all these uh really lovely difficult cloths Mm. and i don't have to (laughs) make them up um i do sort of shed a little well i don't shed a tear of sympathy but i do feel a little bit sympathetic for some of the people that have to work with the stuff i choose
0: right um
1: because i know that there'll be a pain in the ass to make um but a lot of the work is probably done by a machine anyway so yeah. um uh I, I just hope they're not done by too many underpaid factory workers as well yeah that's the other yeah. thing
0: because you were saying it gets made in portugal right
1: oh they're made to measure uh yeah we've got a few programs there's one in china and uh, the better quality one is in portugal mm. um and uh i should say i i think they they tune out a good product and um uh i i i'm pretty sure the staff are well paid there so yeah. so it, it's a, definitely a um uh a fairly thoughtful choice i think um yeah the, the portuguese maker for working style is, is pretty good It's still basically a, a factory garment but with the made to measure you're able to get the fitting really good and um and they they still have a pretty good like light construction mm. um there's a mixture of fusing and canvas but um it's uh st- it's still a cut above a lot of the other stuff having
0: the canvas in there and in preston and morris that's all bespoke tailoring yeah
1: yeah yep yeah. so all all handmade um brendan uh goes above and beyond a few areas as well um there are some things that he does by hand that you don't need to do by hand he does a lot of stitching in the pockets by hand okay which is mad um how's that well it's uh it's somewhere where there's no real benefit other than pure aesthetics to having the pocket bags hand stitched okay say um It might add a little bit of flex. Like I was saying, the hand stitch is a little bit, you know, will sort of give before it breaks rather than a machine stitch, which will just snap when it comes under pressure. Um, Or if it comes under pressure and the thread is too strong, it'll tear the cloth, which is even worse. Mm. Um, The ideal is to have a a stitch which can flex if it comes under pressure, but if it comes under too much pressure, you want the stitch to snap, not the cloth around the stitch to rip. Uh, which is why polyester thread is often not a good or why choosing the strongest thread is not often the best choice because if if this thing you know um gets pulled by something you really you just want the stitch to snap you don't want (laughs) the cloth to rip um so often we'd be using uh like silk or cotton thread rather than polyester thread um But yeah, I mean, Brendan, I still, on some of my suits, um, if I'm doing it for a client, I'll do a lot of the stitching. I won't sew up the pocket bags by hand, but I'll sew a lot of the, like, pocket jettings, and those are the exterior parts of the pocket. I'll do those by hand, which is still more than most people do. If I'm doing something for myself, uh, I just want to get it out as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So I'll do all the stuff that you won't see from the outside, I'll just do by machine. Um, Brendan sews all his linings in by hand, um which is above sort of the industry standard for bespoke um i do half and half i do some areas of the lining by hand and some areas i do on machine now i've got some jackets i did where i did everything by hand um but i've decided that those are areas where it's better to do it on machine and because it doesn't really affect the garment very much in terms of either the fit or the life of the garment Mm. um and uh especially in new zealand you want to keep the price as low as possible so that people can actually buy the damn things (laughs) um so put the handwork and the time into the areas that will really make a difference for the customer um especially because the lining often the lining will be the first thing to go so you want to be able to take the lining out and replace it if you need to Um, because again these things are all about being reused and having a long life so being able to replace the lining easily and also um leaving large inlays in the cloth so those are the seam allowances so not just having like a centimeter seam allowance but maybe having like an inch seam allowance so if someone becomes a fat bastard then you can let out the waist you know a good few inches yeah um and because uh, generally you're making all these things for people who have like office jobs um so they'll like, I'm sure like myself I'll probably get a pot at some point <laughs> so you need to like allow for the beer the beer belly to grow
0: oh it sounds like a good idea <laughs> um the tea's getting to me and drought. I'm just gonna hit the bathroom and be right back yeah
2: sure
0: <laughs> we're back we're back there we go is it your sunnies on your uh on there no 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 oh your glasses yeah <laughs> so what's the um outfit of the day Andrew
1: outfit of the day I have Um oh. (laughs) Heavyweight T shirt from Hellenstein's, which I really like. Oh yeah. Um I like Hellenstein's like T shirts. Well the heavyweight T shirts they do and they're like thick cotton socks are really good. Hmm. Um I got country road jumper or sweatshirt. Mm -hmm. It's a terrible term sweatshirt. I don't know whose idea it (laughs) was. I call cool your call cool your garment sweaty basically <laughs> i mean i know it's what you're if you're exercising in it which i don't do i don't do any exercise hmm. um but uh like if you're exercising it you get sweaty but don't advertise that <laughs> like <laughs> sweat clothes great it's really appealing <laughs> um and these are country road chinos oh, oh sorry no, no no. they're working style chinos working style chinos. yeah yeah so yeah. i am actually wearing some company product um i got them altered and i had them change out the belt loops for side adjusters which i prefer
2: oh um,
0: how did you change it oh um,
1: well just just I, I didn't tailor them myself i just had the company tailors yeah do <laughs> it um but uh i haven't got my tailoring studio set up in a new place yet but you can this one things we can do we can take the belt loops off and we can put on those side straps instead oh nice so i just like it's a better look i think yeah um so
0: yeah is it high-waisted yeah yeah, yeah it's they're quite high-waisted high. yeah
1: um which is better with tailoring because i quite like high-waisted trousers with a t-shirt and then a jacket over top i think it's a good combination of being able to get the tailoring in there without looking too stiff because that's always the battle is um not just going the whole like suit and tie mm. unless it's appropriate for your workplace but it's not really appropriate for mine and it's not not the uh Not really how I want to present myself, I guess.
0: Um, Is working style chinos usually high-waisted like that? Or did you kind of tailor or kind of made it No,
1: these ones are high-waist. These are the heavier weight ones that we do. Okay. We've got a lighter weight one, which seems to be a bit more of a normal waist. Mm. And then these heavier weight ones, which are a bit higher. Um, But I tend to like my cloth a bit heavier, I think, because I'm basically just noodle arms and like (laughs) tiny, tiny, like toothpick legs. Um, so I find the heavier cloth makes it look like I have more shape than I do. So it's like tailoring. It's all illusion. Yeah. <laughs> this makes it look like I've got at least some meat here when I, I have none. <laughs> so,
0: um, uh, I've been hunting for some high-waisted trousers for myself. Mm. And for men, especially quite hard to find.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are coming in a little bit more because things are going a little bit more vintage mm. going back to the 70s. Like you've noticed that I'm sure trousers are getting wider. Yeah um and some people in made to measure are asking for pleats now
0: um okay pleats are like like the lines like these right uh or no
1: so you have the crease which goes up ah, the center of the trouser leg yeah um and then the pleats are at the waist of the trouser
0: oh so is that quite an old school yeah style, yeah yeah ah, um they I went pleats.
1: i i do like pleats. they're very practical as well they're very comfortable um and again they help to add a bit of shape um to the trouser. Yeah. Um it just make it a bit more interesting.
0: I think it makes it look much um uh, is is a bit more uh bit more uh formal. A bit um, more dressed dressed up.
1: I'm in two
0: minds about that really.
1: Okay uh, Mm, I can't quite decide, actually. I think it's more the way it, it's presented, really, because it with the the folds, it could be said to be a bit more casual as well.
0: With the single single pleat, oh double pleat. I always
1: double. do double pleat. A single pleat is like you're wasting your time with that.
0: Oh, what's a double pleat? Well, you just you have two. You have two.
1: <laughs> yeah, lines? Okay. you have two. No, no, not two lines. So the, the pleats, they're just it's a fold of cloth which is put into the waistband. Ah, okay. So it means that you've got more room over your like hip. Sort of this area of your body Mm. um the upper part in your crotch basically um especially sitting down it's much more comfortable
0: and that creates like a line going down your well you
1: when you're making it you incorporate the line of the center pleat right into the line of the trouser yeah so it's cut and it's pressed um when you're finishing it so that that's one long line Um, which when it's done right it's quite elegant as well because the Mm. pleat especially with a like quite a stiff well-behaved wall um you can get the line of that plate to sort of bow out a little bit mm. and then it flows down the leg and if you can shape the leg with the iron as well then you get a one really beautiful just sort of sinuous shape down the whole leg yeah. um it's such a shame it's a podcast because otherwise you know <laughs> i can be showing all this stuff it is a
0: video podcast so yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: But, but then you know sort of like everyone, everyone else is missing out and they'll just be confused hey, be, this like, is for me andrew <laughs> just be 10 minutes of me rustling around and go look at this isn't this beautiful like, yes, that's very helpful um yeah the um yeah i just think the pleats are practical and yeah i like the way they look um these ones aren't pleated but all the trousers that i've made myself are pleated um I think they're coming back in i think people associated them with like the 90s and like grandparents with their trousers up to their nipples yeah that kind of thing um (laughs) and now that's coming back now everyone wants to be a grandparent with their (laughs) trousers up to their nipples and huge pleats heck yeah so um yeah i'm I'm keen to see some more of that
0: yeah now i have to i've been looking at like women's section for trousers these days Mm. just so that i've just been looking at like wider legs and higher waist trousers um because i think i've got shorter legs compared to my torso so and i heard that with high waist trousers it it could help with that like with the illusion that i've got longer legs yeah
1: yeah it elongates you as well which you could argue i don't need but um (laughs) but i do anyway um i'm trying to think if there's anyone around who's doing that particularly
0: yeah i would Um, love to hear where you shop
1: yeah, well, like I said, I I make or I've made most of my own stuff.
0: That's the like as cool as it gets, huh? When you're shopping, right? Like when you're like creating clothes or buying clothes, like if you could make your own.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's fun going shopping for the cloth, definitely. Yeah, um, it does mean that I've got quite a bit of cloth that I've bought for projects that haven't come to fruition yet. <laughs> um, I've got. Uh, I mean, I finished all my like commercial. Spoke work but i've got a few things got something i agreed to make for my mum mm. um which i i said would be she would have this winter which is has not happened uh moving house and everything just uh, that took over i've got something i made for a friend which is just over there out of shot which is a lovely chocolate brown which also needs to be finished um and then i've got some trousers that i was going to make with a friend to teach her to sew um and we've just been both a little bit too chaotic to really commit to anything (laughs) other than just cutting it out at the moment um so yeah those will be done and then i can allow myself to make things of myself again yeah um with my ample free time (laughs) i mean you you know how long these things take to make so it's um making things in my time off work things will move very slowly (laughs) now but that's okay um Yeah, uh, I mostly, if I'm buying stuff for myself off the rack, it's generally casual stuff because if I want something, like, uh, want, like, a tailored garment, then I'd make it myself. Um, Definitely, I've noticed the main thing, I think, with, uh, like, either made-to-measure or ready-to-wear stuff, um, the most important thing, people fuss around, especially the made-to-measure customers, they'll fuss around lots of, like, little choices, um but really the most important thing is the fit mm. even beyond i mean all the, all the handwork is and what i do is brilliant um but the number one thing is the pattern making and getting the fit right um the handmade you know like the, attaching the collar by hand and making everything else by hand is all great but it's it's all in service of getting that fit I see. better so it's it's all just trying to enable you to fit stuff as closely as possible so probably the number one thing is just even if it's machine made, if the person who's making the pattern and tailoring it to you knows their shit, then that's probably the number one thing. Um, and uh, oh, on a side note as well, um, being a bit boring with your first purchase is probably the best advice I can give to anyone, especially with a suit. Um, okay. Because as I've possibly said before, <laughs> I've gone for lots of really interesting and exciting cloth choices and like button choices and things. And they just don't get worn because they're too much. And they just, they, they distract from you you want to be the focus of attention. You want the suit or whatever you're wearing to be amplifying you. Uh, and you don't want someone's first impression on meeting you to be like, Oh my God, wow, what a jacket you want to be like, wow, doesn't Andrew look good? You know, like, they should be looking at you and thinking that you look well-dressed but not picking what it is in particular that makes you look well-dressed
0: that's really interesting um
1: well that's my opinion and some people would be like i want them to look at my belt because it's really expensive (laughs) but or or, it's a beautiful belt um but yeah i'd much rather have people not be able to sort of say what it was Mm. about you after you've left that was nice but just generally you just looked really good um, because that way the focus is still on the person rather than on what they're wearing. Um, I've gone off topic again, haven't I? <laughs> what were we talking about? We were talking about, oh, we, you shot ready to wear. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And just the, to so being boring. So like picking, picking a na like a plain cloth, picking a Navy or a gray probably first and yeah. not going, picking buttons that don't stand out. So the, again, they're not, the focus should be on the suit fitting you well, basically not on a crazy exciting cloth or not on like buttons that pop out, not on like contrast stitching or like the worst thing I think is having your name embroidered on the inside of the jacket. <laughs> right. Like, are you going to forget your name? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's daft. Um, it's just there for the sake of it. Cause you feel like it makes it yours. Like you bought it you commissioned it it's mm. fitted to your body it is yours you don't need to put your name inside <laughs> of it to say that it is um i think the maybe the one way i'd like it done is putting the date that you commissioned it i think that's quite nice especially if you get a lot of stuff made because mm. then you can look back and be like oh like i you know i had this made back in you know 2002 or whatever um i think that's quite nice but yeah putting your name inside like um it just seems a little bit silly um i really like scotch and soda and i really like country road Mm. but that's all for like really casual stuff um but i just i think they know their style and they do it well
0: and is it well constructed and good quality and things like that
1: um i think for machine made garments they're they're pretty well constructed. They're At least they're honest about what they are and what they're trying to be, hmm. which is the main thing. They're not trying to pretend to be high-level handmade garments. It's like a lot of the stuff that you see with suit manufacturers is trying to pretend. They're trying to like emulate some of these handmade methods and just sort of bullshit their way through it, and it just ends up looking a bit sad because mm. they can't do it. Um, so at least with... The, those kind of clothes they're more authentic because they're not trying to be that they're just um they're like nice designs they're unpretentious uh and yeah they're at least authentic about how they're made and yeah what they've done um what they're trying to do uh i like scotch and soda because they're a little bit more unusual um and i just like their choices of colors and things mm. and then country road is like just nice, comfortable, decently made, like, you know, generally, like if I want anything cotton, I'd go country road. Um, And then Hellenstein's is for the stuff that nobody really cares about, like socks and stuff that no one's gonna see.
0: So are your socks from? Uh, Yeah, they're they're Hellenstein's, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: Yeah. What do you think about costs?
1: Costs? Uh, I I don't have any strong thoughts about costs. mm. I don't think I've sorry I don't think I've really shopped with them before yeah yeah. should we clean that up oh, no, we can. Sorry. I'll deal with it in a second
0: oh are you sure hmm yeah. we can pause it
1: all right all right we're back there we go we're back we're back just repairing my clumsiness yeah um, there we go <laughs> that's a good example of what I was talking about before just no
0: nice and clean though right I feel like you you, you were saying just now um, am off, off air you don't mind too much when you get, you know, when you spill things too much or when things get used basically kind of day to day. Yeah. Get day to day characteristics. And yeah,
1: I, I should clarify. I want, I like things clean. I'm very clean. <laughs> uh, I don't mean that you should spill things on yourself and never clean them up or like never wash things. Mm. Um, there's nothing worse than someone that smells. Um, but I, in terms of like damaging stuff, um, I think much better to like use stuff and abuse stuff and then give it TLC after the fact, like look after things, but don't be afraid of damaging them if that makes sense. Um, So like, yeah, if, if you, um, I don't think you should be like overly protective of the stuff you've got, Mm. like use it and let it serve you. Um, but then like when it starts to wear through, then it's your turn to put some work into it and to bring it back up so i've spilled some stuff on the rug but i'll i'll give it a proper clean at some point and then this will this can go in the washing machine as well
0: oh really yeah yeah it's fine oh wow um oh wow it's quite big has to be a quite big washing machine yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's, um um it's fine it's uh again like i said it's, it's there to be used um and, uh, the more times I spill things on it, then the less scared I'll be about spilling <laughs> stuff in the future. I still, like I was saying, I still need to get someone to spill some red wine on it. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll that be a fun moment.
0: Have you had flat warming yet?
1: I have, I've had uh, the flat warming in groups though, because uh, it's I not see. quite big enough to have everyone here. Um, so I've, I've been doing it in my friend groups and segments, um, but it's good that they were pretty well behaved. Yeah. Um,
0: Survived that. Damn.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't have people like climbing on the piano and stuff. <laughs> um, and and I kicked them out like before 12. Right. Uh, I did have one of them because that's the building has a very old or an original lift, you know, the ones with the like grate that slides yeah. across. Um, and one of them was drunk and she like put her hand up while the lift was moving. Oh. And uh, oh. yeah, the lift stopped yeah. and we all thought that we'd just like so it's like my first week in the place it's like great gonna have to call the manager out at like quarter to 12 or something and like (laughs) let him know (laughs) that we broke the lift um but uh no the lift like was only stopped moving for about 30 seconds or so it's got some sort of fancy laser thing that means that you don't hopefully like lose any limbs if you're a drunk idiot yeah far um but yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's good that it stopped yeah it is good that it stopped um it's not so good that she was an idiot for that thing.
0: Yeah. So I think before um, before the break, we're talking about costs. Mm. Yeah.
1: Which uh, you'll have to tell me about actually because oh. I don't know an awful lot about them.
0: Yeah. no, So I actually don't any cost pieces, but I've been watching a lot of um, YouTube men's fashion YouTubers mm-hmm. and a lot of them like costs. Like it's kind of in the middle between. It's not like, completely kind of um like just low quality you know like something you buy and wear once and throw away kind of thing but it's not like high end you can't afford anything from that kind of thing so it's like a good middle ground that's hmm. the vibe i get and i think the general style of that from what i understand is um that it's like a f- like a little bit experimental while being still having a lot of staple pieces for your wardrobe yeah so that's the um from what i hear and i haven't i've went there a couple of times before um yeah mm. so that's kind of what i've gathered
1: yeah i um what kind of stuff are you looking for from COS?
0: from costs i think i shopped there for trousers I actually went there to see if they have any had any suits um, and they had and like um, some trousers as well. And I got a couple of trousers from there, but I actually returned them because the crotch was like a drop crotch. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I think me having like shorter legs.
1: Yeah, that's that's the opposite of what you're asking. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and I think it's one of those like dangerous things. Like I went there and because I wanted something from Kos anyway, I think when I was trying them on, I tricked myself into thinking oh no i'm just overthinking it and then i bought them and they're the pieces from there are pretty expensive too yeah
1: yeah well i mean there's there's a bit of the not well, it's not dangerous but like when you're in a shop especially a shop that has really good ambiance mm. uh trying stuff on uh you can sort of well the, the shop tricks you a little bit um which sounds a bit like i'm being unfair i, mm-hmm. I don't mean like it in a really insidious way but i mean uh everything in the shop coordinates in its its own little environment. And we were, I was talking before about how your clothes should like not just fit you and your personality, but they should also fit your surroundings. Mm. And so, I mean, when you're in like a Ralph Lauren store, for instance, suddenly you're like transported to uh, like that sort of Ivy League environment. True. And so when you try all those clothes on, it feels, you feel at home there. Yeah. But when you leave that little pocket, all of a sudden, like, you know, you don't really belong Um, so, and also things like, you know, the stores have lighting that accentuates that. I mean, a lot of, I've noticed I go into a store and, um, my skin actually looks kind of healthy. (laughs) And so I try on all these clothes and I think, oh, you know, that looks good. (laughs) Um, and then I get home and I realize I have no tan (laughs) and I'm just like this pasty, pasty purple boy. Uh, and so a lot of those colors don't really work anymore. Mm. Um, so yeah there's some little things that you need to keep in mind when you're trying stuff on especially in a store that has a really strong sense of style because often that tricks you into thinking that you can a lot of the stuff that i'll buy i'll buy like one thing and then i'll mix and match it so often if i'm wearing something i want one thing to be the star of the show and then everything else to be a supporting character okay so there should be one thing maybe that you focus on which often would be like a tailored jacket but it might be something else um and then everything else should be a more like low-key player to that i think i I think that's like a sensible way of structuring stuff so you don't want everything to be a shouting match between your trousers Mm. and your shirt and your jacket and your hat or whatever um you want there to be sort of one star player and then the other things to be just filling in the gaps a bit or coordinating with it
0: do you have brands that you like especially like i'm i am You mentioned like Ralph Lauren a couple of times.
1: Yeah. I like Ralph Lauren. Uh, I think the way that they design their clothes is really good. Um, a lot of companies now are designing things and it's called like the merchant based system where basically you have, you look at what sold well last year and you think, oh, we'll do X iterations of that again, we'll try it in a different color this time, but you're basically, you're making the same product, uh, you're designing based off of what sells essentially. Um, whereas Ralph Lauren is one of the few designers who, uh, they redesign their collection each time. So it's always a new, or at least it was until recently. I don't know. Um, they have a, they'll, they'll reinvent everything each time they do a collection. Mm -hmm. That doesn't hold true for like their polos and the, the tacky stuff they do, but for their, their like main collection stuff, um, It'll be I don't know exactly if it's a new pattern each time, although I have seen like jackets and things that are they, they look as if they've got a different slant on them each time, just in mm. terms of the construction. but um they they're not just trying to replicate what they did the year before and sort of push it back in your face with a different cloth or something. you know they' they're actually trying something new each time which is more expensive for them and it's more risky, but I think it pays off in the long run and you get more interesting things. Cause you're not just tuning up the same thing again and again each year. Um, the other thing they do, which is really rare. And there's one thing that really sets them apart is they design and have all their own or a lot of their own cloths made just for Ralph Lauren. Oh wow! So that means that they have a particular look to them. Um, and there's a lot of Ralph Lauren cloths that yeah, you, you won't find another manufacturer using because mm. a lot of these things, you can spot the same cloth being used across different companies. Oh, wow. Um, and so, you know, like there's a lot of Ralph Lauren stuff that you get, which is very uniquely Ralph Lauren because it's been made exactly the way they want by the, by the mill. Um, and a lot of the like jacketing tweeds they have made I've got a rough Lauren jacket and uh, like a hunting check, but they do them in, it's like, it's a tweed, but it's a slightly more open weave and they're often just a little bit softer than a, a real tweed would be. What's the tweed? Uh, tw- it's a um, traditional English cloth. Okay. Um, It's quite, usually quite heavy, quite thick and quite hard wearing. Hmm. Um, sort of traditional country fabric. Um it's got quite a like a textured, sometimes quite a fluffy look. Okay. Um, and usually like a mixture of earth colours. Um Yeah, so they'll they'll do like it'll be a tweed, but it's sort of their version of it. It's a slightly softer, oh, oh. slightly looser, yeah, more relaxed version of a tweed. Um and I mean they do that with things other than tweeds, but it was just the best example I could think of. Um, yeah, so that's uh that's my opinion on Ralph Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I I like them. Um apart from their like sort of very touristy um like the brightly colored polo shirts and things.
2: You're not a big
0: fan of
1: them. Not I'm not a fan of it, but I think it's uh good if it enables the company to keep on doing what they're doing with the other stuff. Yeah. Um it's a good enabler. Let's say that. Um if it enables them to keep doing what they're doing in the other is the company then mm. it, I think it's fine um, I just yeah I just think they're ugly and <laughs> and people buy them not because they like the garment but because they want to have the little horse yeah on the, and have people go oh that man is wearing Ralph Lauren um, so it's not actually about them it's just about them wanting to push something in your face be like I buy Ralph Lauren because I have money
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's the is there much, much, um, distance between like designers and tailors? Um, I feel like they go hand in hand in a lot of times.
1: Well, if you're a bespoke tailor, then you're a designer as well. Cause you're doing everything from selecting the cloth yeah. and drafting the pattern, mm-hmm. um, in, in the big bespoke tailoring places in like London and, or in England and Europe um you have what are called cutters who are the people that are sort of front of house they'll talk to the customer they'll select the cloth and they'll draft the pattern and do the fitting generally and then you'll have the tailors who are the people who are probably in a basement somewhere Mm. making up Mm. um the garment so they do the physical sewing and the ironing and everything um so in the bigger companies there's a divide like a definite hierarchy yeah (laughs) um and there's hierarchies within um but uh in the smaller shops and the um like little atelier places there will be just a one one person band so one person who does everything like brendan or like yeah me. um so i think a lot of tailors especially the older ones there isn't so much design work that goes into it it's like a purely uh like an engineering exercise yeah. i think because um, there's that balance of like art mm. and engineering and tailoring mm. where you want to create something which is beautiful uh, but it also needs to work technically like it needs to be wearable and it also needs to be comfortable It needs to fit which is quite a difficult it's quite a complex job because mm. you're modeling something in 3D it's sort of like sculpture in a way um, but uh, I think a lot of the older tailors especially they just focused on the making side of things or the engineering side of things and they weren't terribly imaginative or sometimes even Mm. weren't particularly interested in clothes um you hear a lot of the older tailors like i'm talking sort of people that started in like the 50s or 60s maybe Mm. saying that they got into it because they weren't physically fit enough to do a manual labor job so these are working class people right um that probably have no real interest in clothing i mean some of them might have but um they got into it from certainly not a not a very intellectual point of view well, um it was
0: a necessity yeah. Yeah, well, yeah it was
1: a necessity i mean it, it wasn't a the job has a bit of kudos to it now where people have romanticized it mm. um but back in the day it was a pretty low class job it, it was a working class job um and it was a job generally for people that were maybe not super fit mm. um so they couldn't do like heavy manual labor, or they couldn't join the army or something like that. Um, so as time has gone on, it's attracted more people that are actually interested in clothes. Um, but I'd say it's still a balance of the two, which is good, I think. Um, but I think it, it meant that quite a lot of those tailors, they're not thinking about clothes, and are not thinking about outfits and thinking about fashion all of the time, they're just focused on making um and there's a little bit more design work that goes into a lot of these tailoring houses now where they're thinking a little bit more in terms of uh not necessarily like what's in vogue now because you don't want to make something which is very of the moment because then it'll look dated Mm. in like a couple of years ideally you want something which is Towing the line a little bit so it won't look particularly of any decade too much it should be fairly timeless um which is its, its own design role anyway uh, i mean that's that's quite difficult to achieve by itself anyway mm. um but uh yeah i think i think if you're a bespoke to her, there's you have to be a designer as well to a certain extent but you're much more your scope is much more limited yeah um whereas a lot of like fashion students they do things that have. you're trying to like break the wheel very much whereas we're trying to work just inside <laughs> of this very very particular niche like it's a very um I, i've given like some shit to um well not not shit to t- tailoring students but to like the teaching of some of the fashion students because a lot of a lot of like basic tailoring knowledge they don't get taught at school right but in all fairness to that uh like there are so many bases they have to cover with the scope of especially like modern fashion um that it wouldn't be feasible just to focus on like tailoring because it's such a niche craft um
0: so there's more focus on the designs aspect of things for the fashion i
1: think so um there was someone i was talking to recently who um I don't think that either he hadn't taken it on board, maybe, or they hadn't properly explained the way that like darts work in terms of like what the purpose of a dart is or what it's functionally doing. He knew that, uh, he knew where to expect to put a dart and he sort of knew that, oh, you put a dart in a trouser here, mm. but he didn't really understand. Cause he was trying to change up like a trouser pattern and he was taking the darts out and uh it's one of those things where it's like it's fine to do that but you need to know why you're doing that
0: the context of things uh. yeah
1: yeah and um and you know the idea like with the data you're not just it's not just take cloth out of an area which is sort of his understanding of it but the main purpose is actually putting fullness over another area so you're trying to it's creating a 3d shape again Mm. um so yeah I think there was some of that where it was the knowledge was only sort of in the context of the different garments you're making not actually the principle of this is this is the dart and this is the shape it creates and you know just knowing knowing why you're putting things in different areas or why you're doing things especially when you're when you're reinventing the wheel as much as they are um so you're possibly putting you're creating patterns that no one's ever seen before possibly <laughs> um i think going back to basics to that extent would be more important so i i don't know whether that's a fair criticism of the teaching system there because mm. it maybe possibly did teach that and he was asleep or <laughs> you know he missed that lecture what's um, yeah, his gpa you know? <laughs> yeah 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 i'm not, I'm not going to delve into that um <laughs> but definitely there's a um i've got another friend who finished his studies and he taught himself a lot of stuff after the fact because he was very dissatisfied with what they would taught him. Um, he felt it, um, they had a lot of gaps in terms of the knowledge. Um, yeah, I think they're trying to, <laughs> ironically with a lot of this artistic stuff, they're trying to churn out a particular kind of artist or designer um, with, they use they sell it as everyone should be unique, but they end up sort of putting everyone through the same sort of. Cookie mm. cutter. Um, Cause of like a lot of the stuff that I was trying to encourage him to do, they were pushing back against as well.
0: Um, what's, what's an example of that?
1: Um, they were try. he wanted to do clothing that was more sustainable. So I was trying to suggest practical ways of, doing that
0: like your yeah yeah ways
1: ways that mean you can make a garment which is classic and which doesn't look particularly of any moment Mm -hmm. and is actually wearable in a day-to-day context um but has longevity baked into it in like more hidden ways um but they wanted a design which was uh visibly sustainable i guess in a very showy way right um as in it could like (laughs) they wanted clothes that could sort of almost function as like a transformer like it, it would be a jacket and then it could turn into like another object basically um which is a cool idea but a you've seen it done a lot like it's not a unique idea uh and also uh it's not actually very practical mm-hmm. or very useful and i don't think people are really going to use that versatility so having something which is has sustainability a the sustainability baked into the way it's made rather than just as a glossy sort of surface look at me i'm sustainable yeah. and i'm like kooky and i've got all these like creative ideas um yeah i i can definitely understand why they didn't appreciate my input on that
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> it makes sense to me like i mean like being able to you were saying like you want to make pieces that would last not years but decades i feel like if you buy one jacket instead of buying like three or four over 20 years or so, I feel like they will contribute to the sustainability.
1: Yeah. And that's, I try and sell it to people as well as, because obviously these things cost a lot of money. Mm. Um, but actually if you add up how, like how many jackets and suits are you buying and replacing yeah. at the moment, if you actually just bought one mm. and it lasts you that long, like how you actually do save money in the long term. Um also helps that, in terms of what you're paying for is exactly just the garment. You're not paying for like marketing or, you know, a lot of these these companies. Um, it's, it is fair enough because you need to pay for the marketing. Marketing is expensive. But you're not, when you buy one of those garments from a manufacturer, you're not only paying for the garment. You're paying for a lot of other things as well.
0: Maybe like, you know how in like Save Sable Countdown, you buy like mints or something and you will say like $13, but then underneath they will say, like zero point seven two dollars per hundred grams, hmm. maybe we should do that with clothes, like it's <laughs> like two thousand dollars, but it's actually zero point zero five dollars per wear compared to two hundred dollars jacket, but it's like one dollar per wear,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can convince someone to do that, then yeah be my guest um that would be an interesting conversation, yeah, uh
0: could be a new model
1: it could be it could be you'd uh have to sell some sort of advantage to the companies though yeah i don't know what they'd think about that um but that, yeah it would uh maybe not under the national government but next time a labor government comes <laughs> around bring it up as uh, maybe it'd be a requirement yeah to, to actually state exactly where all your money is going when you buy these things and maybe state what the carbon footprint of it is there you go has it been flowing all the way around the world to get to you yeah a couple of times
0: there maybe. you go so say Say you have a wedding this afternoon to go to. Mm, lucky me. <laughs> you would you would suit up, right? You would oh, suit up for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you have like your would you wear your own suit that you made? Or do you have have you bought a like what's your go to?
1: Yeah, why well, um I don't fuck around with other people's suits. Yeah. Um no, I, I don't have any I don't have any off the rack suits actually. Um oh i've got one they gave me when i joined working style um but uh yeah i've got a i've got a charcoal suit that i love Mm. uh that i probably wear the most um that one actually um i had a run in the the like handles on the cupboards in the shop that i manage uh there are just the perfect height that they like slot into and grab onto my hip pockets on my jackets okay and i'll be like talking to a customer or something and all of a sudden i get stopped Mm -hmm. and then it's hooked into my jacket pocket um i've got a few that have just started to give way at the edges of the pockets but then uh i had a customer like a month ago and i was talking to her and getting some shoes out and i felt myself stop and then i felt myself go again Mm. i was like oh that's not good i'm moving again yeah Uh, and i finished with her and i looked down and there's like an l-shaped rip right right through my jacket and that's my favorite jacket yeah so um yeah i was pissed (laughs) (laughs) i pissed at my own shop um but uh yeah i've patched it up um and it's that kind of thing again like we're talking about um so the japanese it like wabi wabisabi, wabisabi?
0: oh there's a girl. It's like
1: uh like a leaning into the repair or something yeah. leaning into the damage and making it a feature so i've, I've done like a nice little like hand-stitched repair ah, around that's it cool. um so i'd rather it wasn't there um <laughs> i'm very conscious of the fact that that pocket is now quite weak um so i'm not stuffing my hands in my pockets too much um but uh yeah i've got a few i've got a few go-tos but they're all they're all things that i've made so i can't advise you too much on suits i mean i can tell you to like you know get a made-to-measure at working style yeah, or something yeah. from <laughs> yours truly um good for my commission as well <laughs> um but uh yeah are, are you wanting uh me to make recommendations on really to wear suits and all oh, that.
0: yeah, no, I think I've been looking, kind of looking for a suit. I'm not in a hurry, but I've been kind of looking for a suit for a while, and was just wondering, like in terms of like the quality of it and the uh, like the fabrics they used and things like that. Um, was wondering like if you had any some you know any brands or things that stand out to you because the other day I was at pol- politics. Mm. And they recommended this suits by Joe Black. I think I found that found out that it's like an Australian company that they made and they said, um, that's like the person who told me that worked at politics and he said, that's like the best kind of quality suit that he, he found to be. Um, yeah. So I was just wondering if you had any, like, um, do you have any, what about in terms of like should i go wool suits
1: uh i'd probably recommend that for your first suit Mm. generally like a wool worsted, so um, a reasonably fine wool and it's going to behave and not going to crease too much that's a good good choice like i said probably a navy or a charcoal Mm. that's a good first choice um
0: and and someone's a hopsack would be uh, like a Vers- quite a versatile hop
1: uh for a jacket for trousers not so good because it's quite an open weave um you need something which is fairly sturdy for trousers okay. especially if you actually want them to last mm. i mean if you want them to like bag out or like fall apart after a few years and by all means get a hopsack <laughs> trouser i would not advise it though i think a hopsec like jacket or blazer as people call them um that's quite a good choice like unlined for summer um it's certainly made quite a few of those and we sell quite a lot at working style as well um but uh yeah for a suit probably just like a fine wool worsted is good as a first choice mm. i'm personally a big fan of flannel but uh it's not the most versatile in terms of wearing all year round um in auckland it's not the easiest um because it's quite warm it's more designed for like an English-European climate where it's a bit colder. Um, so, yeah, generally, cloths here you want to be a little bit a little bit lighter weight.
0: Have you had much issues with moths? Huh. Uh,
1: not here, funnily enough. Um, I have mothballs balls in my wardrobe anyway. Mm. Um, we keep everything at working style. Like in plastic bags out back in storage. Um, and whenever I happen to see a moth, I kill it very mm. quickly. <laughs> Poor things. Um, but yeah, like a, a wool suit is like a dessert to them. Yeah. So they'll, they'll happily chat on that. There doesn't seem to be so much of an issue with moths here as there is in Europe. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's this particular area, whether that's true. Across New Zealand um, yeah or with i I'm, I'm not quite sure I, I haven't had many issues with moths I haven't so far I haven't pulled anything out and found a mouth hole right um, so that's fingers crossed um, but yes I mean somewhere like a storage room in a shop like mm. ours uh, that would be very dangerous like if you if you had an infestation that would just rip through all your stock
0: my last Barker suit got attacked by moths. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was just just sitting in my closet. And this was when, now I wear a bit more, have more opportunities to wear suits now. But I mean, for years I didn't. And I just stored it in my closet and I got my trousers. I was taking them to a tailor to get it like a bit shortened. And they were like, oh, there's a hole there and they recognized it as like a moth hole Mm. and then they started pointing out there like so many holes and i didn't even know there was a thing Mm. and i got home i looked at my jacket and at the elbow of my jacket huge hole oh no yeah so i had to yeah i mean i had basically throw away
1: well at least you uh you know it was real bull yeah exactly there you go They ain't chewing through polyester yeah um oh that's unfortunate Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: broke my heart yeah, I think like I wore that like twice. Oh, it's like a big investment from my side too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a shame. That's a big waste of a of a suit. Oh.
0: Yeah, I was like, can you do anything with this fabric? Well, I guess not because it's got like holes everywhere. So yeah, couldn't really think of much to do with that. Mm.
2: Um,
0: what were we talking about? Oh, uh, we, we kind of go everywhere yeah yeah <laughs> we've been all over the show what, uh, what about footwear oh footwear um
1: i actually quite like working styles footwear i think i think we do a, a good shoe mm. um it's got it's quite hard to find a shoe like a dress shoe that is uh not like super pointy and super long um our ones are good in that they have a point but they're not super long and they have a nice shape, like a nice waist as they call it, which is where the shoe comes in under like this part of your foot. Mm. Um, so they've, I think they've, yeah, they've got a good shape baked into them. Um, and they're, they're a good quality construction as well. Um, I, I generally, I get most of my, or well, I get all my shoes, uh, from england and they're generally a um second hand bespoke shoe uh-huh. so um i just because again i want something handmade to go with the suits but i'm not going to learn to be a cobbler <laughs> and um despite what people might think with the amount of money that i've charged for suits um i don't have the money to buy bespoke shoes or mm. I, I wouldn't have the money to buy my own suits i couldn't afford to, to buy myself. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I think buying secondhand like vintage made stuff is good to go that way as well. Mm. Um, cause generally you get much, uh, much more than you would pay for if you're buying it new. Um, so I've got two pairs of really gorgeous, um, secondhand handmade shoes from England. Um, uh, I mean, they were made for someone else, but they fit me perfectly fine. I guess. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're very comfortable. They're definitely more comfortable than like ready to wear dress shoes that I've had.
0: Do you use like a website for those?
1: Yeah, there's one which is really good, which is Savvy Row. Okay. And they sell secondhand bespoke clothes and bespoke shoes. Hmm. Um, not all the shoes are bespoke, but they're at least good quality, secondhand. There's quite a lot you can find on there. Um, so if you want, if you don't mind it having been worn by someone else, um, you can find some like really, really beautiful stuff, um, secondhand there. So I definitely recommend, um, yeah, I think if, um, if you're into tailoring, permanent style is a really good starting point. He's a journalist that writes about, uh, like sort of classic fashion I don't really like the term classic menswear because there's a lot of snobbery associated Mm -hmm. with it. A lot of those like obsolete rules I was talking about at the beginning, Mm -hmm. but he, he's bought, he's commissioned a lot of bespoke um, and he's written about it a lot. So it's really good to get a, especially if you're thinking of being a consumer of bespoke. And also if you're a tailor, you want to know what, what a customer is actually looking for and what their experience is Mm -hmm. like. He's really good for looking at that and also comparing different tailors' styles to each other. It's really useful for that. So learning even basic things like the difference between an Italian tailor and an English tailor in terms of the style. Um, So I think that's a really good sort of starting point for someone that wants to learn a bit more about the stuff. It's quite an approachable way of getting into it.
0: Are they based in New Zealand?
1: No, no. He's English. English. Yeah. Um, Uh, there's another one who's american um who has a good really interesting website although it's ugly as anything um and he's uh looking from a maker's point of view looking at bespoke garments and ripping them apart and critiquing them Mm. some of his critiques are very entertaining because he hates it's interesting hearing him like rubbish a garment
0: that's really interesting
1: um so there's there's been a few that he's like ripped into and he's been very disappointed by how they were made yeah um and it's also really good as a maker uh to look at stuff and hear someone being very critical of it because it makes you pull yourself up a bit more as well um uh and look at your own work a bit bit more closely perhaps (laughs) after reading one of these be like oh shit do i do any of that um yeah so that's really interesting It's also just you know we all like uh hearing people ripping things apart yeah absolutely um generally like critical reviews are more more entertaining than positive ones
0: (laughs) i think i want to one of the things that interests me is like to be able to tell when something's well-made, something's handmade or something's like machine sewn. Um, I think that would be cool. So that when I see an expensive item, I'm like, okay, like this is not expensive just for the sake of it, but there is like a reason for it. Mm. Or like finding the hidden gems in like say, op shops and things like that. Like to be able to do that would be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, going op shopping is... um... It's a really good exercise in that because, yeah, after a while you get your iron and you can just spot something, you know, uh, hanging off the rack. Um like I guess probably the quickest way of telling something is just looking at the under collar and seeing if the under collar has been put on by hand. Okay. Because that's a really good first indication. Um, like, see if it's got that just machine zigzag stitch because mm. then you immediately, you know that it's, um, it's a factory made thing. Um, I mean, buttonholes. Are a good way of okay. at least getting a first indication if there's been some handwork in there. Right. Um, generally, I mean, uh, I don't know how well I could describe it uh, <laughs> just just with words. Right. But yeah, generally, uh, um, like a handmade buttonhole has a slightly more three dimensional look to it. Three dimensional. Um, so this
0: one right here would be what you that be right? machine. Yeah. 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 Um, it's quite flat would you say yeah
1: yeah um and uh often if it's a nicely made handmade buttonhole it'll be more of just a teardrop shape okay rather than uh like a keyhole right so the machine made ones are like very regular and they'll it's basically it's like a a straight line or a straight cut and then with a like a you know a keyhole like a half circle Mm. at the end whereas the um when we do a handmade one we try and shape it so it's more of just a gradual teardrop shape okay um oh the other easiest way actually is um a machine-made buttonhole is made and then cut made and so then cut. Okay. the you'll actually be able to see that the stitching is sort of cut through on the end well it's it's made so it's set back a little bit from where it'll be cut mm. and then it's cut um so you you'll see the edges of the buttonholes a bit raw
0: so this one here for example, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, whereas a handmade buttonhole is cut and then sewn, right. So the threads are looped over the cut edge of the, yeah. which I'm sure you can imagine uh, would mean it lasts longer as well because mm. you're not, it's not fraying out because the ends are protected by the, by the sewing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it takes quite a long time to do a handmade buttonhole, so doing one well, like it's usually about an hour per buttonhole.
0: So say we start making a jacket today yeah how long would that take you um well uh i'd
1: take your measurements select the cloth assuming i've got the cloth here so Mm. i don't have to order it in from somewhere yeah um i could draft the pattern in probably about an hour okay and then cut it out which doesn't take an awful lot of time but you need to be Mm. careful uh thread market which is the most tedious job in the world is where you've chalked your pattern onto the cloth, Mm. but you then you want those marks to be permanent because obviously you're handling this a lot. And even more so than with a factory job, you're taking it apart, putting it back together. So you want those marks that you've put on the cloth to stay the whole time. So you sew through the cloth with Ah. white thread and then you snip. So you get a little dot of thread left in the cloth all along where you've got these lines Mm um that takes a long time you need to hopefully you've got like a new album or something to listen to (laughs) uh you just sit there and you stitch and you snip and you stitch and you snip
0: or two hour long two hour long podcasts
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um and uh so that's probably a good few hours and then you Base the thing up. You can probably do. I can probably do a first fitting in like a couple of days. Okay. If I need to, it, generally the process will take about mm, three months realistically. Um, often it takes longer because people aren't available. Yeah. So people have left the country for a bit, or they're just just busy leading their lives, they don't have time to come in for a fitting. So sometimes you'll finish something and it'll sit around for a few weeks before the, the customer's ready to come in. Um, but also, if you're doing things professionally you've got several projects on the go so you need to stagger things Um, and you also need to stagger things so that you're not starting and finishing a whole bunch of work all at the same time Mm. you want to be finishing work in dribs and drabs so you constantly have money popping into your bank account and not (laughs) waiting for like four months and then all of a sudden you get four suits paid for because it's not ideal for organizing your finances that way or for keeping things going
0: (laughs) so on average about three three to four months yeah about three to four
1: months yeah um whereas a made to measure one which is made overseas um that's generally we quote people about six to eight weeks Mm. um so much quicker turnaround time and if that was made in the country obviously i think the actual time it spends being made in the factory is about a week or so okay um so, yeah, they they're pushing these things out much much quicker because most of that time that I'm quoting is actual time that you're spending physically working on the garment. Uh, yeah, so um, I think generally I'd say about like maybe eighty hours or so, eighty working hours for 80 a jacket, working hours. eighty, yeah. Um, you'd be looking at over a hundred working hours for a suit, generally. Um
0: what's your inspiration for were your parents artists
1: no my Mm. dad was an engineer my mum was a teacher Mm. um like i said i grew up with a lot of like old things around yeah so that interested me and i wanted to i've always been uh always felt like there was something different about them and not in like a wanky way like they have soul or something (laughs) it's like there's no reason for something which is like 80 years old to have more soul than something that was made two years ago it's about how well they were made um so i've always been curious about how things were made and why something that was made ever so long ago feels better than something that was made A little while ago um i have things that are new i should say that have that same feeling to them yeah um but uh you need to be prepared to actually pay more for it because you're actually paying people for their time and for their skill yeah that way um and that's probably the biggest thing that has changed is just people because they're consuming so much more they're so used to paying so little for things that they're not prepared to actually invest in things um and there is to a certain extent like i'm very privileged in that i'm able to afford those things i do have to save up for longer Mm. but um for the most part i you know i still have enough income that i can afford to save up and put money towards something um that is beautiful uh a lot of people just uh it's no shame on them they just however hard they save they're not going to be able to you know uh they've got more important priorities in life let's put it that way yeah you know um so i, I don't want to have people be ashamed if they have to buy something um mass-produced and cheap because um it's, it's a privilege to be able to afford that it's not um it's not something to point fingers at people i don't think
0: it's the concept that like it's it's uh it costs a lot to being poor yeah (laughs)
1: well no it 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 costs a lot to be like moral and ethical like it's expensive Mm. to um at the moment unfortunately for most people it's a luxury to be able to source things ethically and to pay people for their time uh it shouldn't be that way uh but um yeah making the right choice is expensive unfortunately
0: yeah, yeah. Hopefully that's changing. I, I've heard recently I heard about this guy called Jeffrey Small. I think he's like a US designer uh, and maybe a tailor too, because he was t- saying a lot about when he was learning to design and tailor, he would like take things apart and try to put it back together and things like that. And he's now in the US and he says his gar, his like pieces that he makes is like super expensive but uh, cheaper over time, you know, Mm. what we were talking about before. And also he thinks a lot about the usability of it, not just the kind of the beauty of it, but the functionality of it and how, who he sells to, like if he's selling to like, say who's someone who works at a bank, for example, how the pieces that he makes fits into the environment. Um, so kind of like what you were saying before as well, how, you know, it fits your surroundings. Hmm. yeah so i thought that was really interesting and it's cool to hear that um there's someone who's like pretty well known of of doing that you know which seems like a sustainable way to go in terms of as far as the fashion goes
1: yeah yeah i mean that's that's very encouraging yeah um we need more like that i think we just need people to be better educated as well about either repercussions of how they're spending but also um understanding why things might cost more um yeah because at the moment we've just we've been so used to paying so little for stuff yeah um most people do raise their eyebrows at some some of the figures that things cost (laughs) Um, sometimes sometimes it's not justified um sometimes it's just brands being greedy but Mm. um yeah um i think once you understand uh well once once you have different expectations um for what you're buying and what you should be looking for um things make a bit more
2: sense
0: i think that's the trap that i don't want to fall into i'm like willing to pay more for the quality i get
2: Mm.
0: but often it's like like a well-known brand for that or it's like a high-end high-end brand Mm. and when i pay more i'm like i hope because i don't know the i can't tell if it's well constructed or not so i kind of have to believe that it's a good friend. Th- hopefully it's well constructed hmm. and i hope that i'm not paying for their logo on the on my chest kind of thing yeah yeah yeah
1: <laughs> um so i mean that's uh, a lot of that is the case of just taking your time with purchasing and, mm-hmm. um t- asking annoying questions to the salespeople. um really you know make yourself a pain in the ass to us. Um, and also just, uh, you don't rush into purchases. Um, again, that's a bit of a privilege. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, like a mother of three is not going to have time to do all that research probably. And she just needs something to, you know, she needs something now and she needs it to fill an actual physical need. Yeah. And she probably doesn't have a lot of spare cash to, you know, if she's saving up, it's going for other more important things than buying, you know if she needs a bowl she's going to go and get one from food town or something yeah or whatever she's not gonna save up and i mean great if she can't but um you know she doesn't have the time or the money to waste on buying it from a local potter or something who's going to charge her like you know 180 dollars for it and it'll be a beautiful pot and it's um <laughs> you know it's very admirable to buy that but um well, not, not all of us can uh, afford to go that route, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what, because um, obviously when we met, you were in the market for a, um, a suit. What uh, got you into tailoring initially?
0: Um, I think because I r- recently changed my job recently and like, the kind of the dress code of the workplace went from super casual to business, smart business casual. Mm. And because of that, I was kind of getting in, kind of like in the the process of changing my wardrobe a little bit, changing my style a little bit. And I started looking at suits. It's finding out that my last one was got eaten by moths. And yeah, I kind of started looking into like what makes things like good quality, what makes things worth paying for? Um, why why should I buy this um, like, you know, thousand, you know, four-digit jacket versus when I could buy this Hallenstein's jacket? Mm. And that got me thinking, would I be able to tell the difference? Or, you know, c- coming from like a n- non-technical background on that in that area, I think I worry about a lot about placebo effect. Mm-hmm yeah so that was like one of the things that got me started thinking about like the construction of it and um and and things and I've always found that to understand that from from like my own experience in other things that I got into like tennis or um, football or like music or things like that for for those things to appreciate, the people that do those things at a high level i had to learn it and do it do it myself to appreciate like whoa mess is like the best in the world to me and i can say why um or when i hear like Chet baker there's like a, I could list reasons why why i like mm-hmm. um so with tailoring with fashion like i thought something similar like i don't know if i'll get into it but I guess talking to someone who's got into it is as close as it comes without myself getting myself involved in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that was like one of the reasons why um, that really intrigued me when you said like you made your own jacket when we met at Working Style. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of like my background of it.
1: Yeah. So have you, um, you done much research before you came into the shop?
0: By that point, not really. I think there was like... Basically, like the start of it, and then on, up to that point, my research was basically like visiting different shops, um, and seeing what's out there already, what's what I like, what I don't like, and things, mm-hmm. um, and bit of like r- Google Reddit <laughs> research, you know, um, because by that point, so I'm looking for like, well, I have been looking for like a double breasted jacket, double. Br- and like a suit two-piece suit and I thought about getting it from ASOS mm-hmm. they do have double-breasted jacket but it's like polyester and probably um not half canvas oh yeah, or full uh, canvas yeah or anything like that um which would be like a of lower quality right yeah yeah yeah
1: um, generally if you're if you're buying something like a Helen Steins or a farmer's, you know, one of those ones that's market has been like a 300 or $200 suit. Yeah. Then, yeah. You got to ask yourself why, <laughs> wow. why is it cost that much? Um, I mean, uh, we were talking about like the price of cloth and, mm. uh, in my case, I'm not buying like most of the time, you know, I'm not buying like silk or cashmere or something. I'm buying just perfectly good standard wool cloth. Mm. Um, and the price of those suits probably would maybe cover the cost of the cloth yeah, by itself. You were saying that. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah, these things do cost, they cost a bit.
0: For um, a reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, did you, have you asked many other, like you've been around some other shops. Mm. Have you asked any difficult questions to the other shopkeepers?
0: As difficult as it gets is my conversation that I just... I mentioned with the um the guy at the politics, yeah, and that one, because I didn't really know like what to ask as well is is another thing, mm-hmm. and yeah, from him he said, like politics um yeah, he said politics is good, but it's more it's where you would go if you're looking for like more variety of styles in suits, and Parker's he said is a little bit well made than politics. I was honest. Yeah, and I think his manager was like with him as well. So <laughs> <laughs> you good, good on him. Yeah, hopefully
1: he still got his job. Yeah, hopefully.
0: And he said, um, Joe Black is what he would recommend if I was looking for, like if I was willing to pay more. And uh, he said it is, it is a little bit more expensive and it's, you can tell because it's in David Jones. Like in the- <laughs> yeah, so next to like other brands like Hugo Boss and, you know, um, what else was there? But other designer brands. Yeah, so I did go there and like, so he, this is what he said as well. So I bought a trousers from Politex and that's when I met, met him. And he said, yeah, go to Joe Black and feel the difference between like the material that I just, what I just bought versus like the material that they they have. Mm. um. And I did and he because he, he was saying like, oh, you could you can tell straight away that it's the Joe Black ones are way better made. And I did that and I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I could tell it straight away. Okay. Yeah. Like if someone said the one that I bought was Joe Black and the one the Joe Black ones was like a lesser quality one. I don't know if I could tell, no, I I prefer the Joe Black one. Mm. I don't know if I could tell that because maybe like food, like if someone gave me like cheeseburger from Meccas and they say it's like a five-star Michelin food, I don't know if I can tell that it's not. You know what I mean? Like I don't have the confidence to do that.
1: There's a lot of placebo effect with that stuff. I mean, even experts. Uh, I remember seeing a clip a while ago, but unfortunately my... is not very good with names Mm. um but it was a like a prank they'd done i don't know if it was on a tv show or what um but with um they set up like a fake fashion stall with these shoes um and they invited a whole bunch of like big name fashion critics over and they filmed them talking about these shoes and how like beautiful they were (laughs) and how expensive they were and how you can tell the quality um and these were shoes from you know like farmers you know like really really cheap um mass-produced things um and uh yeah it was a real sort of emperor's new clothes thing going on um and just yeah the look on these people's faces when they told them what they were really worth after they'd just been you know um praising them as you know uh next thing best to god (laughs) um that was quite quite entertaining um so yeah even people who are like ostensibly uh experts in their field they get filled as well um so i think probably like don't feel like you have to be uh like you have to know all this sort of stuff off the top of your head like you can they have to put the fabric contents inside the label of the jacket Mm -hmm. so you can always pull out that inside pocket um find the label and it'll say I mean, you can ask the salesperson, but often, like, unless they're really good, they won't have the whole catalog of every shop's mm. fabric content unless they really know their stuff. Um, and you, every now and again, you might come across a dishonest salesperson as <laughs> well. That does happen. Um, so yeah, just have a look. And yeah. it, it has to say if it's you know 50% polyester or something, it'll say. Um, generally, if it's a natural fiber, like if it's a a wool or a linen or a cotton it's gonna wear better on you a it'll it'll age better um but also uh just in terms of the fabric breathing so it if it's a polyester you're essentially wearing a plastic bag it's a very nice stylish plastic bag but i mean if you think what happens if you like just stick your hand inside a plastic bag for a little while it gets very sweaty yeah uh you're doing the same thing to your body if you're wearing like a jacket even if it's a jacket which is um wool on the outside or like a cotton on the outside but it's lined in polyester mm. you're going to get the same effect happening so you want to make sure the lining is like a from a natural fiber
0: and do they say they in the tag as well
1: yeah um, i'll say so um yeah. viscose um or vicose uh that's made from like a cotton pulp okay so it's a, it's a man-made fiber but it's made from natural material so that will at least allow your body to breathe through the cloth um so again it'll be less less sweaty mm. um so that's a good <laughs> good first thing to look for as well um yeah uh, often they'll have if it doesn't have a cloth label on the inside so you get the manufacturer or the um you get the label of the company so like working style or helenstein's or whatever they'll put their label on the inside usually on the other side there'll be the label of the cloth mill or the cloth merchant Mm. that the cloth that it's made from is from Um, if there's no label that's usually a clear indication that the cloth isn't even worth having a name to it right you know that they're sort of they want to forget about this as much as you do Um, if there is a label (laughs) there then that's at least a little bit of an indication that maybe you're dealing with good quality cloth Um, good to know at least something that feels like it's got something worth announcing yeah yeah um (laughs) it doesn't mean that it is necessarily good quality but it's at least it's a starting point um and then at least as well you can actually look up the cloth and learn a bit about it Mm. as well you can take a screenshot on your phone and go home and look it up and see what you think um i think uh if it's a like an italian mill or an english mill then generally you're on fairly safe ground Mm. um there aren't many, at least like, as far as, I, I don't know of any like terrible cloth melts that are coming out there. There's like different tiers of quality, but they're all at least fairly solid quality. Mm-hmm. Um, there's quite a bit of, uh, like Abraham Moon and Guobello, Um They do quite a lot of like large scale production. Uh, also Vitaly Barbarus. Or barbarous i think um they do higher in cloth but they do supply quite a lot of cloth to manufacturers as well are
0: they like new zealand based or no, no, overseas no, they're based. italian um yeah
1: unfortunately we do we produce a lot of wool mm. but it generally gets sent overseas yeah so a lot of these um english and italian cloth mills are making wool cloth using new zealand or australian <laughs> yeah wool from sheep um, we buy back yeah 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 <laughs> well a lot of the like um there was a really uh beautiful sort of a breed of sheep that made really beautiful wool um but were from spain and they imported a bunch of them over to australia and i think here i don't know if the, whether they were intentionally sent to new zealand as well or whether they just sort of found their way here naturally well not naturally but you know whether they they were intentionally sent to new zealand as well or whether they just kind of were transported over to new zealand as part of trade or something mm. um but the breed then became extinct in spain ah. so now we have uh, sort of the monopoly on that fine wow. grade of wool um so that's one of the reasons why other than just climate um one of the reasons why we supply a lot of the wool uh, we've got a lot of space see. uh also especially new zealand with the amount of rain we have uh we have quite a good climate for wool
0: um because they eat a lot of grass and yeah yeah
1: Yeah. um it's originally england which is also quite a damp country (laughs) uh they did i mean they still have a lot of wool production um but that was sort of what they were known for in europe um is uh is making wool which interestingly uh, on a side note is where the term spinster comes from okay um there was a medieval term and you have basically it means a single woman and it's come to be a bit derogatory as in it's like a woman that especially for the victorians like a woman that couldn't get married Mm. because you know that's they were all about just women being married and that's all they were good for um but uh back when england had a lot of in the medieval period um a lot of wool production uh It was actually a decent way for women to be independent and self employed. It was fairly respectable to be a spinster, so you're spinning the wool. Right. Um, And so you'd have a lot of single women having their own little wool spinning industry as part of like a bigger collection. um, And it enabled them to stay single if they wished or if they needed. Mm. Um, And uh, it was actually held a little bit of kudos to it at the time it's then sort of um like i said became not quite slanderous but it came a bit of a rude term to call someone a spinster implied that they were too ugly or too Mm -hmm. not worth marrying um so uh yeah i don't know it's um (laughs) it's a bit of a tangent
0: (laughs) um good history lesson though
1: yeah yeah
0: um the history of tailoring and the material things
1: yeah thankfully now also um because tailoring was a very male dominated industry but it's you're getting more women in there now which is really nice to see um we've got a few like women doing made to measure at working style now as well ah, cool. um which is great and also uh in terms of the like bespoke industry um, it was quite misogynistic for a long time, but, uh, we've had in the past, you might have woman tailors, but they'd be hidden away in the attics or in the basements mm. just doing the sewing, um, and often just doing, uh, like finishing, like sewing in the linings or doing the buttonholes, um, cause they're, they were very neat, precise jobs that, um, Rough men possibly weren't so good at doing, mm. um, and uh, and they wanted to keep them hidden away because they they weren't very supportive of that sort of thing. Um, as the women, interestingly, were known as kippers, um, because they tended to stick together, um, for their own protection. Kippers, kippers, a kippers, a little fish that are, like packed uh, together in a tin, mm. um, and the woman to avoid. Getting unwanted attention from the male tailors would often stick together tightly in groups Mm. Um, not the nicest reason to have that name but uh, again a little interesting tidbit Um, but yeah now there's there's a few more woman cutters so woman front of house and doing uh, the sort of more prestigious jobs Um, there's one Catherine Sargent in London who has her own tailoring house now as well Um, so yeah, that's good to see. Getting a little bit more creativity in there as well because I think a lot of, or a bit of mm. fresh air yeah. in there because that's been quite a fusty environment for a long time.
0: How Did you learn all this when you got interested in tailoring?
1: Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I can't say I learned it intentionally. It's just sort of through osmosis. Just You just can't help yourself.
0: Like being in that community and
1: yeah i mean partly just you you're told things uh but also just uh for a lot especially when i was learning i was very obsessive with it i think i'm the kind of person that uh doesn't unfortunately doesn't do things by halves so Mm. if i want to do something then it just becomes my entire existence so uh i spent a lot of time just it would be waking up thinking about tailoring doing it and then Mm. going to bed like probably then dreaming about it and then waiting so it was it was all consuming so uh and i'd be like working and then listening to tailoring stuff
0: like a Um, podcast or like a youtube video
1: yeah more likely youtube video they weren't especially it's only like blowing up a bit more in like the last few years Mm. um there was more on youtube and also like some old interviews with tailors um they were almost done more as historical records than anything else. Um, Cause it was clear that it was dying out even by like the eighties um, just because fast fashion had taken over. So like, why would you, why would you pay for these like funny old guys to like make you stuff? Um, it like it clung on in there. Um, and it like I said, it started to pick up a bit more in the last like few decades. And especially in the last few years, there's suddenly a whole bunch of, People like me who've seen stuff on youtube and suddenly become interested in it and and also people who are getting more environmentally conscious as well
0: what do you think changed what do you think it brought (laughs) lockdown the lockdown
1: yeah yeah i think people just had too much time on their hands um picking
0: up people picking up different hobbies and things yep
1: yeah uh quite a few people learned to sew during lockdown and also just like i said a bit of time out to think about like why we're doing stuff the way we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it just made a bunch of people more conscious. Um, so I know like for a lot of people, lockdown was awful, but for a lot of us, it was actually a really good time.
0: Um, Is there when you pick up your, um, cause did you sew or anything like that before you got into tailoring?
1: A little bit, but uh, lockdown was a really good opportunity for me to really double down on it. Um, and really sort of indulge in that obsessive tendency yeah uh so yeah so lockdown was a great enabler
0: was lockdown before you got started getting taught by brendan
1: uh i started getting taught by brendan i think i met him in between the lockdowns Mm. um so yeah it was sort of broken up by them but again it gave me time to focus on on the lessons more as well um yeah so it was a it was a funny mix um but overall i'd say i had a pretty good lockdown yeah um i was i was too busy with my like (laughs) too absorbed in everything else to really stress too much about what was going on
0: you probably didn't make a difference if it was no lockdown for you you would have just done the same thing
1: yeah yeah. (laughs) and and i'm uh Um, I'm generally pretty isolated anyway, so I wasn't, Mm. um, I wasn't feeling the, um, the isolation from the outside world too much. I was quite happy to be cut off for a bit.
0: Is there, is there like YouTube channels or, um, things people can follow if they're into tailoring or if they want to learn about it?
1: Yeah. Um, there's several row tales is a really interesting one it's from an actual tailor talking about industry he talks about how to choose cloth that kind of thing so some of it is really interesting to tailors. some of it's really interesting to consumers um he's also just a really lovely guy uh he's got a lot of experience and he's been a cutter for a long time Mm -hmm. in london um he now lives away up in the north in cumbria i think in the north of england um but he for a while he was making like prince Charles's as, as he was then suits and stuff so like um he's he held the royal warrant for a while but eventually he he dumped it because he said it was just it was more stress than it was worth mm. um because you get like inspected all the time to make sure you're up to standard okay um <laughs> i don't think that was him saying he didn't want to be up to standard but it was just it was just so much faff and yeah. so much fuss um because i think from what i've heard around other people like often uh like those maybe more with celebrities but especially around like royals and stuff they uh the real pain in the ass isn't the royals it's the people around them okay. who make more fuss mm-hmm. um they're more of a pain in the ass because they they need to puff themselves up to feel important and they yeah. do that vicariously through micromanaging these people's lives whereas the actual people themselves are just kind of happy to be there mm. <laughs> um yeah uh in terms of other there's um permanent style that like guy was talking about he has a few youtube interviews as well which are really good he's a really good interviewer um like yourself you're good at uh oh. asking leading questions and letting people fill the gaps you Just don't got good guests oh. <laughs> uh, well yeah uh yeah and not um not trying to fill silences too much letting us sort of panic a bit and talk (laughs) ourselves into sticky situations that always makes good listening oh
0: yeah i get get enjoyment out of it you know yeah yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) watching us squirm um the kirby Ellison, i don't like personally but he does he interviews some people that i'm really interested in so uh you might not have an issue with his personality. I, he really bothers me. But if you can look past him to the person he's interviewing.
0: What bothers him about you?
1: Uh, he's just very sycophantic. Um, oh, what's that? Oh, sorry. Uh, he uh, He's a little bit too eager to please people and puff people up and make them... Like he compliments people way too much and it just feels right. a bit sleazy and a little bit disingenuous. Like not honest. Mm. Um, and... Uh, he's just very American, which seems unfair. Mm. <laughs> um, cause I generally, I don't have anything explicitly against Americans, <laughs> but it's just a certain, yeah. there's just a certain brand of it that bothers me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's yeah. mostly just the fact that he butters people up too much. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and he also, he has a little bit of a focus on, uh, like the pretentious side of menswear like the rules and Mm. also uh he does fall into that sort of trap of his clothes don't feel awfully genuine to him a lot of the time they feel a bit more like a costume he's just trying a little bit too hard i think um which is like fine we we all we all go through that awkward stage as well of like uh making making mistakes um Uh, you know it takes people a while to find their style and and we're like we're always changing it anyway Mm. um who else would there be i'm trying to think if there's any good i mean bernadette is still doing her thing um she she does mostly like not terribly modern stuff it'll be uh like making a victorian garment exactly the way the victorians would have made it so it's like historical reenactment almost um which is really interesting
0: yeah that's interesting
1: um so that's and she's got quite a charming personality
0: um would be pretty tough to do right given that there would be less resources for that i imagine
1: yeah yeah she's quite um she's quite particular about some of it some of the techniques she uses are things that like i haven't seen before used which isn't always interesting um yeah so i i definitely recommend her um and she's got a nice little especially now as she's getting older her like sense of chaos is coming through a little bit more and she's getting a little bit uh a little bit more unhinged which i really like seeing yeah um she did one recently where she was like sewing for 24 hours straight and going slightly insane really? which um i enjoyed seeing
0: <laughs> they'll be so tough like on your posture on your like on your eyes too oh
1: yeah or well, tailoring's terrible on your body like it's a really i mean th- every time i see brendan mm. or like the whole time he was teaching me he was constantly discouraging me from being a tailor it's like <laughs> it's the worst job Andrew. like you should not do
0: it uh Brandis is like a character
1: yeah i love him he's great <laughs> he's, he's wonderful um he uh yeah like it it ruins your eyesight it ruins your back yeah um
0: your fingers
1: yeah yeah it's just it's a terrible job nobody should be a tailor
0: (laughs) so why are you
1: Uh, yeah well because i'm an idiot (laughs) um we all know i've got no self-preservation i always choose the worst possible job (laughs) artist, animator that can't animate um yeah and uh now i'm uh making and selling suits
0: yeah (laughs) There must be, but does that, do you enjoy that? I, I mean, it sounds like you love it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Um, and that seems like, sounds like you've been doing it for a while too. So obviously you love doing it and it's something that you enjoy doing. It works for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, obviously the, what I'm doing for working style, uh, you're, it's not handmade stuff. Um, but I'm still fitting things and I'm still sort of guiding people into choosing the right choice of cloth for them uh, and obviously still fitting it on them. So there's still that side of the skill that I'm using. Yeah. Um, and uh, for the other side, the Brendan's recommendation was that if you want to try and do this properly, a.k.a. the bespoke, you need to learn the other side of this which is how to manage a store all the the really Uh, boring stuff
0: business side of the business
1: side yeah and and also selling stuff because i don't feel awfully comfortable forcing people into stuff and i don't want people buying stuff that they don't need Mm. um so generally i try and be as honest as i can and say like i don't think that's right for you or like what you're after is not not something you're going to find here yeah. kind of thing, rather than just try and make people walk away with yeah. something. I think people value that more anyway for the, they're more likely to come back to the company if the person gave them honest advice.
0: Oh, here's me right here having two hour conversation yeah. with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better buy something at the end of it. Yeah. Um, Can I get like a pen?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I think if the person feels like, you didn't bullshit them and you didn't try and trick them into something, then they'll come back and they'll be a loyal customer. If maybe they leave having bought thousands of dollars of stuff, but when, if they get home and either they feel like they were manipulated into the sale or maybe they have bought all the stuff, but then it starts to fall apart on them after a few years, then you're going to lose a customer. So um, I think in the long term, uh, sort of respecting your customers pays off. In that way um which i think a lot of brands don't do
0: is it your long-term goal having like a shop like kind of like a brand and how he has the Preston and morris
1: yes i think uh i want i want to have things made in new zealand again that is the end goal um We used to, even like factory-made suits, Mm. we used to do a bit. Rembrandt used to make here and Cambridge as well. They used to make here and they, not long ago, they closed their factories. And now they have everything made overseas, generally in China. So um, that's really disappointing. So I really want, I want to be able, even in like a small scale, Mm. I want to have clothing made in-house in in the country not outsourced um
0: so not necessarily handmade but in house in new zealand
1: i do if it suits i think it has to be handmade because mm. like i was saying about the garment being authentic it shouldn't be trying to pretend to be something it's not it shouldn't be a factory made suit that's trying to pretend to be i think if if i can't do something handmade it would need to be casual wear but um I think bespoke suits is what I know, it's what I know how to do. So it makes sense to, to try and do that. So who knows? We'll sort of watch this space. <laughs> Nothing's gonna happen quickly. I mean it's the case of bespoke. Nothing happens quickly with that. There you go. Um, I've still got a lot of a lot of stuff to iron out. Um, I See what you did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> is is that Is Brandon like a one-man team at the Preston and Morris?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's all him. He does everything.
0: Is that what you envision doing or would you have other people working with you? Uh,
1: I think... I think it would be ideal to have maybe like at least three people. Um, Maybe have one cutter tailor, ideally me. Um, Maybe have another like apprentice tailor who's doing a bit more of the um the time consuming slow stuff that isn't terribly technical but just needs to get done and then having what a lot of people also do is they have a a trouser maker as well uh-huh. um because trousers are
2: uh
1: they're a little bit less interesting to do and they're also they're a bit quicker so you tend to have a lot more in the way of trouser making, mm. than jacket making. um and it's just it's just a good way of dividing the work up as well. So keeping things manageable. Um,
0: I reckon there would be the way to scale, like, you know, we're thinking about competing against these mass product produced um comp- you know, companies that mass produce their clothes hmm. to compete against it would be to hand hand make everything, but we'd have other people that you train. And, and so on
1: yeah i think even just having the ability to have somewhere that people can actually learn this stuff because when Brendan goes there'll be no one left
0: there you so it'll and, be you
1: yeah there'll be me yeah uh so because uh, Brendan's thinking of retiring soon, as far as i understand mm. um although he's been saying that for a long time so <laughs> that may never happen um but uh i think at the very least there should be someone in new zealand who's still flying the flag so at least you can say if you want to there is an option there to have a handmade suit it's not because otherwise it's just there's nothing available you'd have to go overseas to get it done um and that, yeah it would be a shame um at least just to have someone who's still kind of digging the knife in a bit to these bigger brands yeah not i'm sure they take no notice of us whatsoever uh they're quite happy like churning away um, thousands of suits and making pots of money, Mm -hmm. but at least it'd be nice to have someone there. Who's, um, showing that there's a different way of doing things, even if it's not terribly profitable, even if it's, you know, all a bit futile, I think that's still something worth doing.
0: What about, what about you, Andrew? Like maybe you could show that through content creation like a youtube channel for example Mm. because there will be people like me who's willing to pay more but who don't understand what they should be paying more to and to recognize what's worth paying more to you know Mm. yeah have you thought about that at all i mean i'm you're already quite busy with everything that's going on and yeah it
1: wouldn't leave much time for actually doing any tailoring yeah Uh,
0: (laughs) But even no. with the like things you've already made, you know the way you told me through, like some of this, show me through some of these things. Mm. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, put put your mic a little bit closer, and oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um.
1: I don't particularly like being on display in that way. Mm. I think. Oh, um, I mean, this is the first time I've done anything like this before.
0: Oh, thank you. Um. <laughs> um
1: I don't particularly like uh, sort of hearing my voice back and everything like that. So who knows, I'll, I might uh, send this to a few people, but I don't know how much of it I'll be able to listen to myself. <laughs> Not that there's any, um, nothing against your skill. Um, just my own personal uh, insecurities probably. Um, I I do think it would be the way to go though, uh, and that people nowadays, they need to, see stuff and Mm. having someone like physically showing it to them on a you know like just a even little like shorts say same way that you do on tiktok or something um or i'm sure they do that on instagram as well i'm not on instagram Mm. but i'm sure they have little short like under one minute videos you could do one like explaining the pills one explaining canvases you know like there's little tidbits enough to just give people a bit of insight into why things are are worth doing the way that we do them Mm. um and yeah just the best way i think of getting people engaged in that stuff um i think that might be uh might be a job for a a younger apprentice or someone
0: (laughs) you (laughs) know your media manager
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah yeah definitely
1: uh that that would uh I think would be the only way though of um, marketing that kind of thing, especially since you can't mm. afford to have a big advertising campaign. So having a social media presence.
0: Yeah. Um, could be videos. It could be articles, even just like what you said about how to tell something quickly if it's handmade or machine sewn mm. with the like buttonholes and things like that. You know, it's something that for like a person like myself, now i can i know like one thing at least one thing i can look look out for
2: yeah yeah um
1: no that's an idea yeah an idea. well uh we'll see how we go <laughs> we got a lot of uh a lot of other things that we need to slot into place
0: fair enough yeah but,
1: uh, yeah every little every little bit um you know gives us some momentum okay? yeah
0: now this is also coming from me who's who likes creating content, and I always encourage other people to create content, but it's more like, it's like my passion as well. So I'm like kind of projecting onto other people, but to me, a lot of guests that I've interviewed, there's so much, like from what I feel like it's like, there's so much to offer and I feel like there's definitely an audience for for, for it. Hmm. There's at least one, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, this why I'm always like. Oh, yeah, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing this? I would definitely subscribe to that and yeah, so that's coming from kind of that point of view as well so yeah take take it with a not gra- not with a grain of salt but um some something like some spice at least <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, thank you, yeah, that's good advice
0: um yeah, speaking of which I've got a um um uh, one more question for you, Andrew. But before that, I mean we just said you don't you're not on socials or anything like that. But is there anything you would like to plug? Um I don't know. Um maybe you're do you have like a LinkedIn even or?
1: Uh I do um I'd say like just come into the store and have a chat. Yep. I think that's probably the best thing, really.
0: So that's working style. Working style I run Ponson the b, b. Um, And you are there on the weekends, you just say?
1: Yeah, I'm there Wednesday afternoon until Sunday, basically. Mm. Um, we close at four on Sunday. But yeah, I'm always happy to have a chat with people. Yeah. It'll be nice if you buy stuff as well. Yeah. But yeah, just come in and say hi.
0: Cool. Um, so for the last question, Andrew, mm. and this is something you asked me when I walked into Working Style, what's on your wish list?
1: Oh, right what's on my wish list yes sir uh i (laughs) Um, i'm actually trying to get some more karu glass at the moment which is new zealand made glass okay um so that's on my wish list it's not wearable um the probably the thing i'm after at the moment is I want to make myself a double breasted jacket, i think oh. we were talking about, yeah, I've got some flannel set aside, yeah, and that's another project <laughs> uh I have other obligations to get through before that, <laughs> um and I was actually thinking of buying one of these from country road,
0: oh, um, like a sweat. Yeah, yeah, so another sure. one.
1: They've got a, like a nice sort of blue one. So that's probably on my wish list. Yeah. It's a very boring wish list. I'm it's right. a
0: very achievable. I mean, the country road one at least.
1: Yeah, I've got everything I need. I don't right. need any more clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to pare that down. I am I have a large wish list of things for the house.
0: Ah, um, Okay, what are they?
1: Uh, well, I... um, some point, I need to get a proper like TV console, but mm. I want to get a maybe like a mid-century one get something which is actually decent rather than just cheap um MDMA, Mm -hmm. MDMA? no not MDMA. (laughs) uh and um uh i need some more art actually and i've done quite a bit for myself but i actually want to get some other peoples out in here as well ah. so it's a little bit um a little bit more varied
0: yeah that would be nice i mean this one's uh original piece by henry oh, matisse right yeah yeah it's
1: <laughs> my my forgery over matisse ah, um,
0: looks cool though thank you yeah thank it you. looks really i really like it
1: i might get it framed as i was saying i've been doing a bunch of these watercolors each night and i'm sticking them up and then ones that make the cut that stay up long enough i'll get them framed
0: so this one you did it in the day or in the night
1: oh yeah yeah i mean that's like
0: is um, it pretty easy to do or yeah that's very easy is that right
1: i reckon just about anyone could do that as long as you can like mix the colors and stick them in roughly the right place it's just Mm. um yeah they're a piece of piss it's like you could do that in an hour i reckon um and then the landscapes and things are a little bit more involved there's one of mount eden there and another one of uh oh circus circus in mount eden village on that oh yeah i wall. was
0: wondering if that's i recognize the corner and the red yeah the yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. very
1: distinctive like i was saying i um was living there until very recently so um i've been trying to make myself feel a bit more at home yeah bringing a bit of home with me to the city um so i've got a few more i might do some more beachy scenes yeah. Uh, what about those seagulls?
0: Are they, are they, is that yours as well?
1: Yeah. I did a whole bunch of seagull paintings, mm-hmm. uh, like quite a few years ago when I was very unhappy and angsty, I did these really big, uh, oil paintings of like f- sort of clouds of seagulls all like screaming and biting at each other and fighting over food scraps. Ah, um, yeah. and, uh, they were very popular. Uh, and after that, I sort of became known as the seagull guy, and people kept on giving me like seagull trinkets and ornaments and things. I was like, "Guys, this is like representing probably the most miserable time in my life." I kind of want to, I don't want to keep on focusing on this. Yeah. Um, so that was like a little sketch of one of the big seagull paintings. Ah. Um, it's a bit more colourful than the original. The originals were a bit more muted. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh. From what I could see, your Kind of the painting or the art journey kind of evolved from like doing paintings like of like I I saw one like in a room and with like a window and uh, I don't know how, I'm not good at describing things no, here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that there and then more recent ones had been more um like lines mm-hmm. yeah is that like a fair description of that
1: um where was the one of the window with the
0: um that one was i, th- I think i saw it on like facebook or oh i see i was trying Instagram to think of which yeah. room it was oh, in. oh yeah yeah right, no, no, no no um
1: yeah well th- those ones were i think you were talking about one with the room mm. those ones were a bit different they were like a record when my um grandma died mm. um the day after i went around um before like everything was all moved and i painted each of the rooms as they had been left oh wow um it's just like a record of that so they were in a different style because they were very i don't know if meditative is the right word but i was trying to basically just like record everything and it was in a very sort of uh i don't know contemplative melancholic mood yeah so i think the paintings are a bit different in the way lots of these ones are much more energetic and chaotic Mm. and probably a bit more fun (laughs) uh so i've i've got different styles that just you know it's like different sort of language you use um i've got some that i've done which are in like almost a pre-raphaelite style so very like tightly controlled and very sort of photorealistic um and quite like romantic looking um and then i've got these ones which are much freer and looser and um a bit more energetic, yeah, yeah. They're, they're definitely easier to do as well. Like you can do them, you know. So long, so long as you don't have any holdups, that's the main thing I say to my students. Is like most of the time, people are just afraid of doing something wrong. Okay. So they just, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of that stuff. Some of it comes down to skill, but a lot of it just comes down to not caring if it goes wrong. Because if it goes wrong, you can always you just work with what the mistake's given you, you know? Um, like Bob Ross calls them happy accidents, <laughs> And like, especially with watercolor, the paint does something weird and you just, rather than trying to fix it, you just have to like roll with it and turn mm. it into something. Um,
0: Was it the same mindset when you took, when you started getting into tailoring and you're, you were curious about the clothes that you bought and you took them apart? Because mm. that's like pretty bold,
1: move (laughs) uh no i think the tailoring unfortunately you can't be chaotic (laughs) tailoring you have to be very on the ball uh because it's very technical um you can't have like a loosely made jacket yeah uh you can't yeah and you can't like dash one off in an evening um no i think i think that more just comes down to curiosity um Mm and i guess not caring that i was taking the clothes apart um but some of them were in a state where they weren't quite wearable anymore anyway um so i wasn't taking apart like things that i would wear um necessarily um they'd be you know moth-eaten or um there was one in particular that just smelt so bad (laughs) like there's no amount of Like dry cleaning, you could do that would get rid of that smell, Um, and uh, there was uh, there was another one as well, which was a really nicely made uniform, but it had unfortunate connotations, Um, so I didn't feel too bad about destroying that.
0: What do you mean by unfortunate connotations?
1: Uh, Just just the military faction it was Uh, right,
0: right, right, Um, yeah. So, yeah I mean. well that yeah I just turned the fa- one final question into one yeah, fi- yeah, yeah five yeah. final questions um but everything goes you know everything goes is the name of the podcast but thank you so much for having me here, Andrew in your beautiful well decorated house and thank you for your time and thank you for agreeing agreeing to being on my show and answering all these these questions, you know, you said asking difficult questions. So here they are, me (laughs) throwing (laughs) a lot of questions at you. But I really appreciate your time, Andrew.
1: Oh, thank you. You've been a a very pleasant guest. This has been a nice
0: morning. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Cool. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Bye, everyone.